Okay, I have pressed the button. The light is green. We are going to cue introduction. No, 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 no! Coco Talk would like to thank the patrons who sponsor our show. So our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Murphy, Alan Huffman, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donaghy, Brian Weasler, Karen Anscombe, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichert, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., Tom S., Tim Lindner, Tom Heron, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk. The world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Coco Talk. We're here coming at you, episode 214, and we have a special treat for you today, boys and girls. We're going to do some assembly language programming. Are you excited? I know I am. All right, we're here. We are here. The audience is here. David Craker is out there, and Sixie Karen is out there. Canadian Retro Things is out there. Good afternoon, everybody. We got a great show in store for you. We got more content than should be allowed to exist in a single program, but we are. We're going to make it happen here today, boys and girls. Tom Eric Gunderson is out there from Norway. We got a panel. We've got guests. We've got an audience. We've got all kinds of stuff. So we're going to go around the room. Our guest of honor today, who will also be covering some assembly language tutorial with us, George is here. Hey, George. Good morning, good, or good afternoon, everybody. And same to you. We've got uh, one of our foreign correspondents here, named so nice, you must say it thrice, host of the Game On segment, Nick Marota. Nick Marota, Nick Marota. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. Chuck Allison's out there watching us on Twitch. Hello, Chuck. Eight Bits in the Basement just joined us, and so did Ken can make it hello guys 
And Mark Overholzer is here. Hello. Poster of the links in the live chat and so many more things. Rick Eulens here. Hello, Rick. Howdy, folks. Creator of the most advanced operating system ever created, L. Curtis Boyles here. Well, he's not, yes. Well, Nitrous 9. Not OS 9, but Nitrous 9. Yes. Hello, yeah. L. Curtis. <laughs> Based on Nitrous 9. Nice, so. Yes. Oh, my. Hello, everyone. Mikey is here. Michael Furman. Hey, Mikey. And he works for Apple. He's programming an assembly already himself, putting up stuff on the screen, doing all kinds of cool stuff. John Lowry's here. Hey, John. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the program. Mark Bosley, our backup streamer engineer, is here. Hey, Mark B. Hello. Ron Delvo is with us. Hello, Ron. Hello. And ah. creator of the latest best-selling game on the Coco, soon to be released, or maybe not so soon, but to be released eventually. Nick Morentes is here. G'day, Nick. Hey, good everyone. It's not bad if it's a bestseller without being released. Yet. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It's I, the best kind of game to have. I could have one of those. Too. Yeah. <laughs> get your, get your pre-orders in. Your... Just send the money. Don't worry about the game. <laughs> <laughs> Save me a lot of time. <laughs> oh my goodness so uh we are going to be covering uh 6809 assembly today our first lesson so we're going to get to that that's going to be our main segment today by the way we got some good feedback we had some email feedback where people are excited about the fact that there's new hardware out there you know new guy frank from retro rewind and going to be another source for coco hardware so people are excited about that people are excited about more assembly tutorials especially one aimed at beginners so so the audience is speaking and the audience is happy and so this is great never been a better time to be in the coco hobby mr dave is out there dave 6309 is in the house hello dave so how about we um just jump in and we'll we'll just go to the game on results and then we'll talk about that for a bit talk about this week's game and then we're going to jump into assembly language i believe if i'm not mistaken there might be a new Samuel Gimes. There might be a new Cocoa Thoughts. Brian Weasler's out there. Hey, Brian Weasler. Uh, and the Cocoa Thoughts may or may not be Game On related. I don't know, but we're going to find out. Are you guys ready for this week's Cocoa Thoughts from Samuel Gimes? Let's sure. see. Let's see what he's been thinking about lately. And now, Cocoa Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. So this is what would have happened if Cubert got it on with a slinky. <laughs> really 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 uh. really <laughs> well that was clever that was clever thank you samuel yep. guys unfortunately it wasn't singing, it wasn't singing. yeah nope, no singing. singing okay so it now did. here comes nick marota's favorite part of this show where his name is mentioned and he gets to talk for a while so let's check out this week's high score results Challenge. Welcome back, everybody, to this week's Game On Results. This week, we played Springster, and there were 13 participants. The results were as follows. Alan Murphy with 5,000 points. Sloopy Malibu, 5,400. Tom C, 6,100. Coco Discord user, 7,200. David Craker, 12,840. Nick Morota, 14,740. Rich N, 15,660. 
Jim Rye, 19,920. Rick Yu, 22,180. Mr. Dave, 6309, 23,300. Canadian Retro Things, 26,400. Tasman, 28,660. And the number one score this week will come as no surprise. It's none other than Coco Talk salutes Buck Owens. Buck Owens had a real spring in his step this week because he managed to bounce up the amazing score of 47,880 points. Great job, Buck Owens, and thanks to everyone who participated this week. All right, we've also been joined by Kevin Holloway out there. Uh, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota. Now, you notice that, you know, we, we often feature uh, Canadian Retro Things video as a background to talk over. And he's typically in the top three. So that Canadian Retro Things is quite the game player, I'd have to say. And thanks for participating every week along with everyone else. So, Nico. Yes. Thank you for the video, Stevie. And I mm. see what you did there with the... Uh... With the spring uh, pun there. That was good. Nah, <laughs> uh-huh. So, yes, uh, that was our... Uh, so, speaking of Canadian Retro Things and videos, once again, he sub- he supplied us a video for the... Uh, while we, we, we talk about the games. Thank you, CRT. Uh, make sure you check out his YouTube channel for uh, Coco and other retro content. Uh, Canadian, Canadian Retro Things. So, yeah, our game this week was Springster, which was one I'd never heard of until... Uh, a few weeks ago when uh, um, I can't remember how, how it was brought to my attention, but it definitely wasn't one I played back in the day. It, it was a crossover with uh, the Amigos, actually, because it was their Coco Show game. Of the well, this game was, of the but I think I heard of it before then. Well, maybe not. No. Maybe, maybe that is how I heard of it. So, yeah, it's a, a sort of a cross, as uh, Samuel Gimes said, between Qbert and uh, and uh, Slinky. <laughs> I do like the way the spring moves, I got to say. It's pretty cool. So uh, this is a pretty complicated game if you want to try and, and memorize all the rules because there's all kinds of, you know, if you have this item and you do go on this square, then this happens and da-da-da. And if, but, but if you click the button, something else happens. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it was a pretty complicated game for, uh, for an action uh, uh, platformer like this. But um, the basics aren't too bad. I mean, the basics is collect the treasures, uh, get the pot of gold and step on a step on a uh, red square. That's all you really need to know to advance. The rest is, you know, uh, at more advanced stuff like trying trying to destroy some of the enemies and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's a game. If you want to do really good on scores, you'll you'll eventually learn all the different tricks and stuff because you can definitely get more points when you're killing and freezing the other people and stuff, your opponents and things like that. But uh, just to get through levels, like to explore through the game and see what the levels look like and the different things that start coming up later on. You don't need all the all the rules. You need like a few basic, like four or five, and away you go. Now, right, the, go ahead. I was gonna say, get all the things, red and purple, and uh, kill that assassin guy, and stay away from the flying sock. <laughs> yeah, learn what does and doesn't kill you. The, the the blorks, which are the there's three of them on the screen right now, they don't kill you. They just annoy you and block you in and that. And I think they steal your pot of gold if you have it. And there's a potato, Mr. Spudnik, that doesn't kill you. Mr. Potato Head, they couldn't use the name for copyright reasons. Oh, is that Mr. Why? Spudnik, <laughs> huh? But everything else does kill you. So the reason we played on skill level two, and the reason being uh, skill level one 
had only eight planes and we thought uh, for some of the more advanced players they might blow through that pretty fast so we decided to play on skill level two this week uh, which had 16 planes and nobody yeah, and level it. three is 32 so if you get advanced with it there's definitely some play replay replayability here so Buck Owens did post a screenshot to uh, the Discord channel. I should have grabbed it. But anyway, uh, he posted a screenshot to the Discord channel of the final melon that you have to capture. Uh, he did that on level one, where there were eight planes. So level one, he would have finished. Uh, level two, nobody finished. So Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, this is a game, game you got to learn. you got to play it quite a bit to get good at it. You have to learn all the little rules and stuff. You can, you can advance faster, but... That's the, one of the good things about the game. The two best things about the game is that its replayability is very high. There's a lot of different levels and stuff that you can add. As you progress, you can go to level two, level three, and you get more and more screens to go through. And the second is that it's a completely original game. Uh, there isn't anything like this on any other platform. Um, when the Amigos were reviewing it, we had a bunch of people in the chat, and nobody on any other platform, there's a lot of C64 Amiga people, Spectrum, et cetera, nobody had seen anything like this. So it's it's a Coco exclusive. Yeah. It looks pretty neat. The animation of the spring kind of flipping head over heels is pretty good. Yeah, I think they did a really good job with that. Yeah, I'm surprised with all the animation they did in the slinky thing that they didn't animate the other ones. The other ones just kind of float around. Yeah. I don't know if maybe they're running out of RAM or room on the ROM because, like I said, they have 32 levels and they're basically 256 bytes per level, I think, just to make the map. You say this was a 128, 128K game, right? Yeah. It was one of the earlier ones. It was actually one of the ones Frodo covered this. He played it too a while ago when he did his first year of the Coco 3. Because this game was released in 87 within the first year of the Coco 3 being released. So it's a fairly early, you know, learning how to use the higher graphics modes. And it was all and brand the, new. The slinky animation actually does count. You've got to wait for that extra boing sometimes. So, you know, that, that timing's kind of crucial to your gameplay. Oh, okay. Or the other ones just kind of move around, you know. Yeah. So Curtis, you did play the game. You didn't play this week, but you did play a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, it was because they pre-record the uh, the Coco show there, and they picked Springster like a long, long time ago. So when they went to pre-record it, um, I wanted to play it because I wanted to give them a bit of a review type thing. And uh, I hadn't played it in quite a few years myself. And it was a game. It was one of those ones where I read the manual. Like I fired the game up, and it was a little confusing. And then I read the manual and I actually, I have the original manual right here. Um, and then I was reading like, you know, all the different things. Well, if it, the screen's this, or if you have this object and you land on this square and you click the button, it'll freeze this guy and unlock this guy. And it's just like, oh my God, this is too much. And I just kind of stuffed it to the side. But as Frodo pointed out, I was watching him because he played it before the Amigos got into it. And uh, he was, you know, he was reading the instructions, kind of doing the same thing. Ah, he said, screw it, I'll just play it anyway. And then you find out like, yeah, I think he got to like the fifth plane on his first try. And that's what we kind of discovered. You don't really need all those rules to progress in the game. And that's something that I wish the manual had maybe made more clear. Like if you want to be an advanced player, yeah, memorize all this stuff. But if you don't, yeah. you can still have fun with the game and you can still progress pretty well without needing, you just need a couple core things and that's all you're going to need. Then the game became much more enjoyable for me. So Mr. my memory sucks. Go ahead. <laughs> so Mr. Dave is saying that the code fit in uh, 16K of the cartridge. Yeah, so there might have been, it, like early on, Tandy was really, you know, cheap. Well, they always were cheap, but um, they were really cheap on, like, how much ROM space you can use. Because I know some, you know, early Coco 1 and 2 games, you go, you know, Dungeons and Dagrath really wanted to expand it up to, I think, the 16K ROM, which is the maximum size. Because they had plans beyond what Dagrath actually got released with, and the code was done. 
And Danny said, nope, hard line, 8K, you got to fit it in there. And I think the version they had originally was about nine and a half, and they had to crunch it down to fit in 8K. And they said that was the most time-consuming oh. rather than writing the code. And they took stuff out, which I would love to see the original code, but unfortunately from uh, interviews with uh, Douglas Morgan, I don't think the original version exists anymore because they kept the version amazing. that Tandy would actually sell. And uh, that ended up being one of the best games for the Coco. The, yeah. And Tandy underestimated how well it would have uh, Shanghai, same do. problem too. I mean, Rick Rick Adams really wanted to get the full dragon from the Amiga because he was using the Amiga graphics as a base. And if you've got his development discs that he gave away at the uh, fest a couple of years back, you can actually see the original full screen graphic of the dragon breathing fire when you win the when you win the game. And uh, he couldn't fit that in, and they wouldn't let him go past I think 16k limit on that one. You know, because you could make a 32k cartridge. And once again, you know, he had to crunch it down and take some stuff out. You know, and that's just. Uh, Oversight. Because I, I don't believe back in that time, I don't think the difference between an 8K and a 16K ROM or a 16 and 32K ROM was that much, especially in the bulk that Tandy would have been buying them in. Yeah, who knows why they... Well, no, they're cheap, that's why. <laughs> we know why. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> the answer is because they're cheap. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're getting good comments in the chat room about the game, how there's a lot to do in it. Uh, Mr. Dave would have liked if there was a magnifying box like Megabug. He found he found the uh, graphics were a little bit small. Um, just get a bigger monitor, Dave. That's all you yeah, got to do. Just look yeah. it up to your 52-inch oh. HDMI-based, you know, with the adapter and go for it. <laughs> yeah. A thread or a projector. Put it on your wall, 100 inches. He also said we need a Springster Ease of Use Edition. I'm not doing that. Just, you know. <laughs> ease of Use Edition. So this is a game I'll visit again to see how uh, if I can get any further. I, I didn't play it a whole lot this week. I had a, other stuff going on, but uh, I did enjoy it, and I will definitely visit it again. Yeah, I was the same with me because I was, I was actually planning playing it Thursday, and then a job came in, and I worked on that until the evening, and then I got it out on proof Friday morning, and then like it's a subcontract of a subcontract type thing. And then up the chain, people kept adding changes. So I, I, instead of having – like I basically thought I was going to have my old Friday to play it. And uh, basically, I ended up with no time to play it. So, feature that sucked because I really wanted to play it. And I know John and uh, Aaron, they were gone Friday night. They went to some wrestling thing because you know, they've opened up enough to have in, in person wrestling. Not between the two of them, I don't think. Um, <laughs> and Frodo, I think, just forgot, to be honest, because he had played it a while ago and he actually did like the game. He was actually quite impressed. Yeah, with it. it looks neat. Yeah. And he likes puzzly type games. And this does have a bit of a puzzle element. Because there's some, like when you get to the later planes, there's some of the treasures that are hidden and you have to hit a certain color square to unhide them so you can find them. Because you'll get them all and then you find out you, when you go in the red square, it doesn't make the purple exit square appear. And then you have to go find the missing treasure. So, That's... you know, it adds layers of, of complexity as you go to just to the actual gameplay. Not complexity, but you know, just different new things to, to deal with. That's where the number beside the hourglass comes in. It tells you how many treasures you have to collect before you can go through the portal. Ah. So right now he has to collect six more. Yeah, it's it's a cool game, and like I said, it's original. I mean, it takes some aspects. You know, maybe it looks a little bit like say Marble Maze type thing, just the way the the squares are done. Um, it has you know a bit of the cubert vibe to it because you're jumping between squares and there's colored squares, etc., and, and treasures to pick up and monsters to dodge. Some people also mention that it looks a little bit like Crystal Castle somewhat, um, but it's not. You know, that one's a bit more far-fetched i think the basic appearance is similar but yeah the, the isometric yeah the mechanics aren't the same but the look is similar yeah, yeah but there's no dots more. to collect and there's no uh 
elevators and that kind of thing. Yeah. Cocoa 3 Marble Maze would be pretty cool. It would look kind of like this. Well, we have a Cocoa 3 Marble Maze. Those are marbles. Uh, yeah, those are marbles. Oh! We tried. Canadian company, even, from Ontario, from near you. Hey. Let's try that. Hey. 512K required, but... Okay. I didn't know that. Because we did the Marble Maze, the traditional Cocoa 2 version. For the game. Yeah, that one uses hardware scrolling, 16-color screen. Oh, want to try it? Digitized sound effects. Pretty decent one. Now, how much would you pay? That might be a suggestion for a future game. I, I, I have to yeah. check though. I can't remember if the uh, does a copy on the on the archive work because there was problems with versions that people had tried to make copies of where you know it crash after a certain level or something. I don't know if that's no idea. Specific. I've got an original, so I don't have to worry about final that. treasure. So now, how do you end the level? Now you, you have, have to hit a red square to open a purple square, which he's already done. So you well, two purple squares. You okay. have to have the you have to have the bag of gold though. I don't see a picture of the bag of gold. Oh, he already did. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. You have to get the bag of gold. So once gold. you've gotten all the treasures, you have to you have to activate a purple square to get out. Yeah, With you a hit a red square. square to activate it. Now some of the monsters can oh. deactivate it, so sometimes you have to keep running back and forth because you'll be ready to hit your purple one to go onto the next plane, and then the other guy will run over and shut it off. I'm not sure I'm crazy about this color combination here, but uh, it's nice to see that it finally changed colors. Is he using the right palette? Because I don't remember this color combination. I think he's in composite, yeah. Yeah, it definitely looks better in RGB. Okay. As as pretty well everything for the Coco 3 does. But... Yeah. I never uh, saw yes, this no, I'm, I'm an RGB snob. Go ahead, Nick. I never saw level five, plane five, so I, I didn't know it changed colors. <laughs> yeah, no, it um, does change colors on the later levels. That, that does happen. Yeah. But not usually the scariest. <laughs> I'm much green. All right. All right. So uh, we had it. It was a good week. Thank you, everybody, who submitted scores. And are ready to talk about next week's game. The suspense is killing us. All right. We have another classic for the Coco uh, 1 and 2. Uh oh. It is. Um... This is Temple of Rom 1, the original. I was just about to ask that. Oh. <laughs> Yes, this is the original the Temple original. of Rom by our very own Rick, Rick Adams. Adams. Have we not played this in the challenge yet? No, we have not. Okay. This is one that was sorely missing from our list of games. Okay. Like, how did we not do Temple of Rom? Yeah. How did we not? So I, I decided to correct that uh, that oversight immediately. Absolutely. Post with post haste. Post haste. Yeah. Too so, sweet. Uh, okay. So this is the Temple of Rom 1. Not the to be original. confused with the update that just came out a while ago. We'll probably do their update down the road. But uh, I wanted to do Temple of Rom 1 first as the classic version. Yeah. I will mention, for those of you that have the original cartridge, this one, I believe, runs in 4K. Wow. Oh, cool. I think. I might be wrong on that. I'll have to double check. It's, it's, it's 16K maximum, but it might have worked in 4, if I remember Oh, I forgot to say I wanted to do a space game this week, so I chose Temple oh, of Rom. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. The space games are in. Kids it's love a, space. Kids love the space games. For game. those of you who don't know, uh, Rick Adams had to write, uh, they wrote the manuals before it was a space game, even though it's definitely not a space game. And even though he'd submitted a manual that it, you know, clearly explains it's a dungeon crawlers type game. It was based, you know, loosely on the adventure game from Atari 2600, and they completely rewrote the manual. I know how that feels because that's exactly what Rainbow did to my Ring Quest game. Well, you know, kids love the Star Wars, so you know you gotta you gotta cater to that. And uh, that's awesome. Oh, we have yeah. two, we have two people watching us from Mexico right now. So Salvador Garcia just said "Hola" from Mexico, and we also have Alexander Wallace watching us from Mexico. "Hola, Mexico." 
Uh, cool stuff. Yeah. And um, 60 says it does appear to run in 4K, although there are some drawing glitches. And a little while ago, Paul Thayer had joined us too, creator of Timberman. Uh, yeah, if I remember, it's like skiing in Dino Wars, where if it runs in 4K, it can't page flip. It's not enough memory to make two screens, so it'll mm. flicker a bit as it literally has to redraw on the screen you're viewing. Ah. But it does work. All right, so thank you to everybody who played this week. Thanks, CRT, for the video. Thank you, uh, Stevie, for your video and for letting me do the segment. And we'll see you next week. Excellent, excellent. So we have one uh, update before we get into our assembly language series, and that is who's new to the Coco world map this week. So we had a few people um, do, uh, to uh, reach out this week saying, hey, add me to the map. So let's say hi to those folks right now. Let's see who's new to the Coco world map this week. Please welcome from Tuvala, Utah, Fred Provencha. And from a place I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce in Brazil, it's Erico Patricio Monterio, also known as the king of semi-graphics and computer animation. Welcome to the Coco World Map. To see where your fellow Coconuts are in the world, check out the Coco Map at map.cocotalk.live. If you'd like to be added there, send us an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. All right. Do, do we want to take a commercial break or George, are you ready to jump in or do you need a couple minutes to get ready? Whenever you want to take a break, take a break. I'm ready whenever. Uh, all right. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we're going to, we are, yes, we are starting a brand new assembly as, as Paul Thayer is asking. Uh, we announced this maybe two weeks ago. We're going to be doing uh, thanks to George who's been doing assembly language programming uh, since the processor has been invented. And, since prehistoric uh, times. <laughs> back, back in my day, a tablet was made out of stone. <laughs> All right, and, Moses. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think he made the Ankythera mechanism or program yeah, or something. So, um, so we're going to take a commercial break, and uh, let's see who we're going to talk about. But yes, Polythe, we're starting a brand new series on how to code an assembly, thanks to George, and it's aimed at beginners. Whole nine yards, and uh, let's see, let's see. How about, we have not heard the Coco Dew in a while, so how about a little Coco Dew for you, and we'll be right back, boys and girls. Coco Talk will return. After these messages, Coco de c'est le coq champion des micro et dans le pion. Pour le jeu, il n'y a pas d'attrape. Les études, c'est pas bizarre. L'expansion, il en va pas. Les commandes, tu vas voir ça. Notre Foucault est programmable. Pour tes courses, c'est bien serviable. Coco de de radio chaton, l'intéressant est ça. Un ordinateur couleur qui a de la personnalité. Le Coco 2 de Radio Sac. On solde pour Noël à partir de 149,95. Coco 2 de Radio Chaton, on a fait les dans le sac, c'est toi, c'est Coco 2. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. If you're using your color computer in Quebec, and it stops working, is it now a Coco won't do? Hi, Ron Delvo, Timberman, Coco Fest, Coco Talk. In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable 
can make a difference. Switcheroo. Coco3scartcable.com Hey, have you got your Coco 3 yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Rom and Shanghai, and you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. What's going on, everybody? Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here, and if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get Ama Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the Original Gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Radio Shack Storewide Manager's Red Tag Sale is on now. We've slashed prices 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%. Save on famous Radio Shack Hi-Fi, car stereo, radios, toys, TV games, calculators, walkie-talkies, and CB radios. Look for the big red tag. Save like never before on these and literally hundreds of red tag specials. Hurry into Radio Shack today. Hi, this is Randy Kindig of the Foppy Days Podcast. I just love me some cocoa, and nobody covers it better than Steve Strobridge. You're listening to Cocoa Talk. All right, and we are here, and we don't have an infographic for this series yet, which we should. Shame on us, because we are a professional show. So we'll have to work on that, on a nice new infographic title card, but in the meantime... We're going to kick off our first ever assembly language series with George. So take it away, George. Okay. Well, we talked about this in the previous. I'm trying to start at the beginning. Okay. There's probably programmers out there listening right now on this talk show that know a lot more about the color computer programming of graphic games than I do. But this is just introductory for people that would like to get away from basic and learn assembly language and the instructions, how to use them, how to uh, put them together, make small routines into larger routines. And uh, I think I put together some, some beginner stuff. I know when you're programming, if you don't understand all the basics of it and have all the tools, a good way to start is display stuff on the screen. Uh, example, if you add two registers together, or a register and a memory, what's in there? How do you how do you look at that? So I put some together some uh, routines here to show show your results on the screen. A couple of things to start with. I've uh, changed my uh, mouse to be a little bit bigger at yellow, so you can see it on the screens. Uh, sometimes you'll see as I switch screens, you'll see the palette, the colors look kind of crazy. When I first started color. Uh, this project on the Color Computer 3 emulator, I didn't like the color selection, so I changed the palettes. Uh, could have been a big mistake, but I did it a year or so ago, and I live with it, so you'll see some funny things and funny colors that I'll switch back when I, uh, I'll change back to what they look better. Uh, other than that, I guess we had started with some very, very basic programs uh, or displaying things on the 
on the screen. I will go to my screen and share this here. I hope everybody can see this. Yes. Okay, good. All right. Skill levels. I don't know everybody that's out there. Some people may have been programming in uh, a slumber language on a color computer for two years, five years, 10 years, or for like me, I started about 1982, 83 on a color computer on a, my first color computer one, 16K. Uh, basically, uh, hand punching stuff in, poking stuff in to see how it works and uh, play with it ever since. So if your skill level is above mine, that's fine. Jump in there and correct me on certain things. But I'm going to try to keep this at a very, very low level. Try to stay on this first one as much as we can in screen width of 32, not get into high resolution text screens yet. So everything should work, pretty much work on a uh, Cocoa 1 or 2. So with that, I will try to find a, uh, okay. All right. You start out with uh, basic. This is what we did back when. Hello world, everybody uses that, okay? So here it is in in basic, okay? So we're going to just print hello world on the screen and then the line 60 there, wait for someone to press the key. Then we're going to load in another program, assembly language program, and execute it. That assembly language programs look something like this. Now, this is not the basic, basic one, but this is how you would do it, okay? We're going to get down here. We're going to load it in address 1000. We're going to load up the address where the message is. We're going to jump to a basic routine to put it on the screen and sit and wait for a, let me press a key and then carriage return and we'll be done. That's, that's all, all we're going to do. Very basic one you can do if I can find my screen. Okay. Oops, I got to get back here to. Uh, I'm not used to using this uh, laptop. All right, we'll get that in. I can type correctly, I guess. Low dash one. Yeah, you had uh, a oh, zero okay. instead of an O. Oh, yeah, I had a zero instead of O for hello. <laughs> yeah. They look very similar. I'm not used to the laptop. Okay, now we'll, we'll run that and just show you. Okay, now there's basic, basic print of that hello world on the screen, and of course, if you have the lowercase letters in there, you're gonna get the inverted characters. Basic is waiting for press the key. I'll hit the space bar. Now it's loading in the other, the assembly language program, prints exactly the same way, okay? And it's waiting for enter something. So that was our very, very basic thing we could do. All right, now we need to move on to another example. This is gonna actually do some, some code here, okay? Now you've probably seen this same type of example where we're gonna uh, bring it in at uh, uh, 1100, okay, hex 1100. We're gonna start with just loading the character of our hello world. We're gonna load that in register A, and we're gonna store that at 400. Well, if you understand the mapping of the color computer, the, your 
low level text screen starts at 400 and runs from 400 through 5X5FF. So we're going to go up in the upper corner. We're going to store that first character at 400. And then we're going to load the second character, the E and hello, 401. And you can see where this is going, 402, 403. OK, we're going to put a space in there and store it at 405. We're just going to go right on down the line. And we're going to put our very lot of code and a lot of things to do just to store uh, to print that on the screen. OK, so we can. Uh, Bring that up, and we can Man, we go bring it over, and that was at eleven hundred. So well, man, I'm not used to this laptop. Okay, well, we, I probably should have cleared the screen, but that was the. I need someone to type this for me. Okay, so that, that's what that that's what that would print it. it put each, each character individually on the screen, so it doesn't look much different. Sample two, we're going to put it's inside the same program. We're going to bring it. It's going to be in a uh, twelve hundred hex. Doing something very similar, a little bit. Going to put it on the screen at hex 420. It's going to be the next line down. Load in our H, store it at whatever in register X, which is 420. And we're going to load, we're going to bump that X by one. Load the effective address. We're going to go from 420 to 421. Then we're going to load E into that register and store it. We're going to bump that by one. Now, I put this line in here because that's one way you could do it. The next character, we're going to load it, the L, and we're going to store it at red, whatever register X. And then the, the plus at the end of it is bump that register. Okay, that saves us a complete instruction, and you'll we'll see that it uh, takes a lot less space. So let me let me just interrupt you for one second because it's been an, it's been an eon since I watched the original um, assembly language series and since I'm not as familiar with it. So loading the letter, you're loading that into the A register, which is somewhere in the memory of the processor. We can't see it yet, but yeah. once it's in that A register, then when you store it, that's that's kind of like a get and put. You're 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 putting it in memory and then you're getting it from there and to put it on the screen and the so the and that offset is the location of the screen stuff in memory. So you're always gonna you're always gonna have to do a load and a store every single time. Is that am I interpreting that correctly? That is correct. Okay, you're gonna have to load something to the register and then the store is almost like a poke. Okay. We're gonna poke that into that the address that's in that register X. Okay, we started out X at 420. We've bumped it by one to the next position. Right. So we're kind of you're kind of incrementing at that point. Right. But we're going to store A at the, at the next position. Bump it again. And below the line is instead of doing that that load address, we're going to as we do the store. The plus is when you're done with that instruction, once you store it, increment the register. 
so that 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 just saves you some coding there you're basically having an auto increment each time so in yeah. other words the ascii value for the character is in the a register yeah no i understood that the, I, no, the yeah. store a says store that value in a into the memory location pointed to by x Right. Now here's another dumb question and this might just be how because this is how the processor works, but what wouldn't it be easier and is it possible to just load it right onto the screen? It almost seems like you're having to do it twice. You're that's having, what, you're having that's to put exactly a, what you're doing. Well you, you always have to go through a register. Okay. okay so oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no there's no way to write directly to the screen. You have to you have to write to a register and then poke that register onto the screen location. In the memory, right. Yeah, there there are there are some special instructions you can do a specific value. Like there's a clear instruction you can tell it to set it to zero in one instruction without having to do a load a zero then a store. Yeah, like but clear. You can't just do that willy nilly with any value. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's just been so it's been so long since I've had all this stuff introduced to me. I'm just trying to ask you some. And and normally you wouldn't. This is just one way of doing it. It's kind of uh, caveman type. You wouldn't really want to do this here because if you ever had a change. You want to change the message from hello world to goodbye world you have to go back and change each instruction all the way through which wouldn't uh a lot of time consuming so this is just the basic thing and we go down to it it's the same as the one above put a character in in a store it bump to register put a character in a store it bump to register going through okay okay and the rts is is return okay return the call we'll go back to basic so we'll take a that was this one was at uh at 1200 so we'll uh we'll do that one and it printed on the second line comes out exactly the same just two different ways of doing the same thing okay okay now we have sample three we'll load it at uh 1300 x okay so this here's a little bit shorter program and we're going to load X with our address of the screen. Remember, screen is goes between 400 and 5 FF X. We're going to go at 440. That's the next line down. Okay, we're going to load in a Y register. Okay, and the, and the pound sign here in front, or the hash, whatever you, you prefer to call it, is a, is a direct addressing mode. It means the the information to put in register is in is in with the instruction as you go along. So hello world message, okay, well, I'm gonna go down here to the bottom and show you, okay? Hello world here, this is the message, okay? It's a format of constant characters and it's got in quotes, hello world, so our same message. Okay, now to, to in our message, we need a, a, a null byte, okay? You can use anything you want if you code it, but the world, standard is you have a zero, hex zero zero to end that string of characters. Okay, so that was our message. So we're putting in Y register the beginning of that message. We're going to put that in there, and then we're going to start a loop here. We're going to load A with whatever's in register Y, which was the first character of that message, and then bump that register to the second character. Then we're going to structure branch if equal. What's equal? Okay. When we load it, when we load the characters for this message, right? It's looking for something equal to zero. This last character is equal to zero. The rest of them have, have a value. So we're going to go through here and load up the first character H. It's not equal to zero. Okay. 
because it has a character that's going to fall through next instruction, and that instruction is store what's ever in that A register, like we did above, with at the address that's in the X register, store it to the square, and then bump that register by one. Branch to the next instruction, which is a branch always instruction, branch always to loop three. Go back up here to loop three, load A, whichever's in Y. Remember the last time through, we bumped it to the next character, which is the E. You get the E in there, it won't fall, it'll fall through again. We'll store that in the next, and we'll just keep going through there until we get to this hex zero zero. We get to the hex zero zero. It's because branch equal, that just means it is equal to zero. God wrote it here. If a null byte, we're done. With branch equal to done three, goes down here to returns tub, goes back to the caller of basic, and it's done. So as you can see, it's a much, much shorter, tighter loop. The, the thing about that is we can go down here and change this message anytime we want. We could just Yeah, that go. almost becomes a variable versus a whole bunch of constants. Right. We could just sit there and just put that now in the program, run it again, and it would and the change is done. Change up the line and and you're done. As opposed to going back up here and doing each character separate. Right? So if we go to back here and we Yeah, that's the third line down. Now you'll see why I put them in at all different addresses. It's 1,100, 1,200, 1,300, 1,400. That way, keep them separate. You put them on, an on each on an individual line. Okay. Sample four, we're going to, it's going to come in memory at 1,400, or it's in there. And we're going to go down to the next line, which is at uh, hex 460. Let's look at that for a second, okay? In the screen, this is this, up here. This H is 400, okay. And then we got to go. There's 32 characters across, okay, or hex 20. So 400 hex 20 puts you at 420, 440, 460, 480, etc. So on and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that's why I put them in. It, it's I've changed the address, so it'll come on the next line. So visually, you can see it. All right. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to get away. Try to get away from this inverted space and inverted uh, exclamation point. Because you can see down here, we put it in as a space. We put it in as regular, but color computer, the way they mapped things when they did it, it uh, it turns up inverted. I've got, I've got a chart to show you that. Okay. So at this one here, we're going to do the same thing we did before. We're going to Put in our X register, the address go on the screen. Y with our uh, Y register, the same message we used before. We're going to load up the very first character, bump the register. Branch, I think we're done. It's not done, so we're going to fall through. Well, this time we're going to compare what's in that A register to a hex 40. Okay? Hex 40. Oh. That's 32. Mm, yeah, 64. Uh, is it? I thought uh, 20 is 32. Yeah. Good way to good way to explain it is uh, okay. Here's a color computer character set. Okay, so if you look on here, 
here's our hex party right over here. <coughs> Everything, there's two halves. Everything to the right of this here part is uppercase. Everything below that is the inverted characters. Right? And this is not, what, what they did on this color set is, is non-standard, let's put it that way. If you look at the uh, real, wor real world, okay, all these lower ones were all control characters for various devices back in the early days. Okay, I remember using this back, oh my gosh, back in the early 70s. Okay, late 60s, Luke actually using these farm feeds and vertical tabs and stuff like that and the equipment we were writing stuff to. So everything, example is uh, an L. Let me find an L here. Okay, right here. The 4C. Okay, on a color computer, they use 0C, which is a farm feed. Okay. So the color scheme is very hard to understand. And I, I don't want to make it more complicated because it's complicated enough. But we're looking at that if it's a 40 or greater, okay, or next is a branch greater than, the character's okay. I showed you that screen and everything on the right-hand side of this 40 is okay. It's already uppercase. Everything below that is inverted. So what we want to do is if it's below that, we want to add the 40, add 40 to it. And that will bump us to the other side. Okay. Am I, is that too confusing? Is 40 uh, offsetting it by 64? Yes. Yeah. Hex 40 R64. Okay. So if the value is basically what he's saying is if the value is below 40 hex or 64, then he's going to add 64 to it. So a space, which is 32 decimal or two. Right. You're adding hex, 64, which makes it 96. Right, which so it'll the, come out as a, the, a, a no. non-inverted space as opposed to an inverted space. Because yeah. you notice in his head, Hello World example, the space is inverted, and this will fix that so that it's not inverted. So if right. it's, if it's right. already and, above and, 64, then it's okay to print because it's an uppercase character. But if it's below, you have to right. add... Right, 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 64 right. to it to make it uppercase and the the funny thing is is the way that is the coco's ascii is not only not standard in the lower characters but it's also not standard in how it's being used because when you poke a value um you're going to get sometimes different values than if you printed that as like a chr string right so if you printed chr string 32 which is the space what space is supposed to be you would get i think a, a proper the, green blank right. space but when if you, you poke the memory location you'll actually find yeah. the number 96 in there right right so it's it's kind of contradictory that way too because sometimes when you print the character string in basic you're getting visually what it's supposed to be but if you were to poke it which is getting more like the assembly then you're getting down into the 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 less correct right. part of how the coco's ascii lookup table is right so exactly <laughs> If you go to the basic ROM to print the character, it, it corrects it for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. This is in hex, okay? The space is hex 20. You add 40 to it, gives you the space over here at hex 6. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just not used to hex notation. I'm more I'm more right. familiar with decimal notation. So 
No, uh, yeah, so it's taking this is a little bit of a, a thing for me. And I think we should probably just because there's some people who are probably watching right now completely lost. And, and I trust me, I don't understand assembly at all. However, I do understand some of the ASCII codes, but from a decimal perspective, because I've had to do this in basic. I've had to print character strings. I've had to peek and poke stuff on the screen. Um, and if you wanted to do something in basic and you wanted to get inverse text, um, you have to use the lower number set where like the letter A, the capital letter A decimal is 65, but in, um, in right. inverse, it, it would be one, right? The lowercase right. a would be one. So it's, there's a, there's a difference of 64. So the, the uppercase is 64 higher than the lowercase. In this case here, the hex is, is 40. So that 64 decimal is 40 hex. That's, that's a transition my brain has to make. And I'm assuming in assembly, you're doing most things in hex versus decimal, right? Well, I, I do. I do. Yeah. Also. Yeah. And, and, and the processor prefers that anyways, right? The, uh, if you look at the, 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 uh, assembled program, everything's always in hex. Okay. So it makes it a lot of Let's like, sure if I can, uh, get up here. Here's the same program that's been assembled. Okay. And we'll go down to where we were. Okay. And everything when it's assembled, I'm over here on the left side now. It, everything's in hex. There's nothing in here. Right. Okay. So that's what that's why I usually work with, with hex because it's yeah. all except except the line numbers, oddly enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it's on one thing we have to mention too is that hex definitely comes in very useful in the simulator. There's a lot of calculations, a lot of things you can do are much easier to do it. But for people that you know haven't done assembly before, they might not have a clue what hexadecimal is. So that is something you have to learn, or at least have a lookup chart beside you, so you can take a look. Okay, a thirty-two, which is a space, is also a hex twenty. Type of thing. Like down here on this this line over here. Okay, it was either dollar sign forty or sixty-four. Right. If you put sixty-four, when it assembles, it's going to come out as as forty. Okay, hex forty. That's this. That's the assembled version of this program. So that's what we're doing. And here we're getting to find anything that's less than that 40. Okay. And now nobody's caught it yet, but there's a error on that line that's greater than it should be greater than or equal to, but that's okay. I figured that out later. We're going to add 40 to it to make it correct. So it'll print on the screen. Next character goes through the same loop. Okay. So if we uh, go here and try this one. Okay, that one prints out corrected. Okay, we fixed we fixed them two. There was two characters that we had to fix. We had to fix the, uh, the space mm -hmm. and the exclamation point. Okay, we fixed them with that going through that routine that said if it's less than or greater, and we added the forty to two characters. Mike, is this is too confusing at this level, or do we need to go back and start really running hexadecimal? Mm, I don't know that we want to cover hexadecimal conversion today. I think this is a good idea to go through some sample code and see what it looks like on the screen. Um, and then people who want to get this code, they can get it on Discord as well. Um, and that would be a thing to do, I think, if you get on Discord, because this will run on just on a color computer one, two, and three. If you're whatever your mechanism, if you're using MASM, if you're using MES, or, 
or I'm sorry, LW2, whoever you're using, you should be able to assemble this and change it and work with it and see what it, what it does. Uh, if we got time, you know, I can have, in fact, we're, I'm running on a mess today. We can look, actually look at the registers and single cycle through it and look and see exactly what happens. You mean like in a debugger? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's fine. Um, scroll down a little bit. So we, have, we haven't covered sample five yet, right? So basically you've got one big piece of source code here that's showing us four or five different ways right. to put hello world on the screen. Just the long way and the short way and some creative ways. And right. Some in, in five, okay, is another way here. Okay, now here I actually used your decimal, okay? Okay. And, okay, I used it on this one here. When it assembles, it's going to come out where, where it should be. Oh, so the pound is basically saying do it a decimal, and the and the dollar is saying do it hex. No, the pound is saying it's part of it's going to be part of the instruction. Up here, it had a pound and a dollar sign. Ah, uh, okay. Lack of anything, it says it's decimal. If I put a percent sign in there, it'd be binary. If I put a just a single quote in there, it's alpha. The the pound means this immediate value. So low. Oh, so you're right. So so instead of saying. Okay, gotcha. With this specific number. So right there where he has the load D, LDD, pound 128. He's saying load the D register with the exact value of 128. If he were to omit that pound sign, it would load the D register with whatever value is stored in memory location 128. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so the, like an equivalent and basic for this would be like what he's doing here with the, the pound sign is D equals 128. That would yeah. be the equivalent and basic. Yeah. Where if he did it with just the dollar sign or with just the 128 without the number sign where it's going from memory location, yeah, it would be the like equivalent it. of D equals peak 128. Yep. yep, yep, yep. Okay, and that assembled version, that 128, it comes out as a hex 80. It actually load D with 128. Okay, it's right there. CC is load D, machine code, and it's loading at D with 0080. Which is a good reason to put the hex in your source so it matches up with your... Yes. Okay, and then we're going to go to basic to do a, do some routines, okay? We're going to go there to do a print at, and that's supposed to get print at a certain place. We're going to load X with that message again, but basic needs to be at a minus one of where the message is, because the very first thing you do if you go to that routine is they bump it by one. So you always have to, you know, don't be confused. We've got to put the address of that message in there. And we'll go to basic to put that line to the screen, put out a carriage return, and we're done. Okay. This is a simple version of it is by using the basic round. Okay. If you're not this makes life easier if you wanted if you're just doing Numbers on a screen, this is the way to go. If you're trying to do a game and you need to do all kinds of stuff, you wouldn't you wouldn't use the basic ROM at all. So this is to get the this is to kind of guarantee you won't get inverse text when you're doing the things that are lower than the sixty four, like your numbers and spaces and stuff? They yes, they fix it for you. Okay. Yeah. This also is the advantage too because it's going through basic. Basically actually detects am I on the last line of the screen? Do I need to scroll the screen? Like it does all that for you too. Whereas normally if you're doing it by hand like on the earlier examples here, you. you would have to take that in consideration yourself and go, okay, I'm at the last line of the screen. I want to scroll the screen up so the next line can appear type thing, or maybe I don't. Maybe I want to keep it on the same line, like a print with a semicolon at the end. So basic will handle some of that, you know, 
keep you know keeping of the uh, stuff going on its own where you don't have to worry about you know screen scrolling and I hit the end of the line you know all kinds of other things so remember we told it uh that decimal 128 was hex 80 so up here again on our screen we got 0 20 40 60 80 so it should come right after where it says ready when we okay. keep this one okay and it fixed our line for us okay put it where we wanted and put put the liner that's just five different ways of putting the same message on the screen right we could also just to run the basic program and it will go through there and load it in and it should put the other uh hopefully put the other ones out there oh, there it goes where did i have the correct program in there probably worked better if i had a correct program in there i think you did that was hello one right well i would i wanted the basic program in there while you're loading, I'll just make one quick little side note. For those who want to learn a semi-language programming under Nitrous 9, um, you would not normally be writing directly to the screen. You, there are ways to do it, but that's not the normal way you do it. Normally, you'd be using what they call system calls, which if you're more familiar with modern machines are called API calls. Um, and it basically works the same way as the way he's calling the basic ROMs. It's it's similar to that. You'd, you'd set pointers like, here's my message, here's how long it is, You know, go print it. I, I, the only difference is it would actually use an OS 9 system call instead of a jump to subroutine to the basic ROM. But other than that, it's exactly the same principle. There, there, I had a basic program that just it re loaded that program in and it, it, it well, her. Okay, lo just loaded it in and then and did that or executed them in order so you could just see it. Right. Now, if I did a. Uh, That's in a high-res high screen. That's high-res text. You did the same, that, uh, that fifth version. We did this one here. And you just happen to be on a high-res screen. That's what you would get. Don't worry about the colors. Okay, I told you my color palette is different than what the rest of the yeah. world is. That shows another advantage of using the ROM routine, though, too, because if you were trying to do an actual, you know, direct write to the screen, that's quite a bit more complicated to do because you have to map in the high-risk text screen. You got attribute bytes to worry about. Yep. Are you on the 80 or 40 column? You know, all that kind of stuff. Where if you use the ROM routines, basic knows what screen you're on, what screen type you're already on, so it just handles it all on its own. So you call the same routines to print on all three screens, right? Yes. 32, 40, and 80 and it just adjusts based on the screen you're on. Yeah. You can run this program when it's in high, the other program when it's in high res, but you'll never see the first four lines because they're down, it's still at 400. The high res screen is way, way up in memory somewhere. Okay, it's mapped, it's not even, you gotta map it in to even use the high, high res text. Right. It's at 6C000, yeah. that's where it's at actually. 6 okay. And that was just that, that, that crazy mapping of uh, basic stuff. The normal uppercase L is a 4C, normal lowercase in the real world is 6C, but basic lowercase is 0C. We had to add, <laughs> add 40 up, had to have 40 to it, okay, to this 0C, make it a 4C. And I, I, sorry, I do everything in hex. So. Yeah, that's going to be just a training thing. Um... Yeah, so that's pretty cool. So if somebody can grab this, like we're not going through the code line by line. So if somebody wants to see the source code, it's it's there on Discord, and you can pull this into your favorite editor. 
Um, and by looking at that, we are looking at uh, a number of ways to just to write text on the screen using assembly, right? So you're loading it into the A register and then you're storing it on the screen. Yes. Now here's, if you can see that, I hope it's big enough you can see. Okay, this is a mess. Okay, this is the debugger. Okay, and here we are at memory address 400. Okay, and you can see the ready. Yeah. Okay, if I can get a hold of this. And on our screen, it says ready, and that's yeah. in there, okay? So that's when you're looking at, okay? And we can go down here. Why don't we just do that, okay? Because get down to some basic stuff. I'm going to put a uh, breakpoint at 1,000. Because our first, our very first program was at 1,000, okay? So it's in memory, and if I... Okay, the, I told the I told the debugger when it gets to when you get to one thousand, stop and show me what you got. Okay, and you notice again we also got that execute command is in here. But better yet, our program. Let's find our program. We're right here. Well, I said stop at one thousand. I should have said eleven hundred. That's okay. We're going to get to. going to reset this. Sorry for the confusion. Too many programs. Okay, that was our program. Now we got to the correct one, which was this one here. Load our H and store it at 400. Load our E, store it at 401. That particular one there. That was the big unrolled loop version of doing it one line yeah, at a time. Is, yeah, this yeah. is the very, the very first one we had. Yeah. Okay, and here it is right here. Load A with that very first character and store it. Okay, and over here down this here is our registers. See right here. Oh, that's your A register, your B register, your D. Register, our X register, our Y register. So our very first thing we wanted to do was load A. And I'm going to hit the F11 key, which is going to execute that instruction. Okay. Now you see our register, it's got that, that's an H, okay, and, and hex it's 48. All right. And it's going to store it at address 400. Okay. Well, I'm going to go up here and manually change what's at 400 right now. I'm just going to put a bunch of zeros in there. That way we'll see what happens when we hit, do this store. Okay. You see up there, I used, I just pointed with my finger. Okay. It just put the 48 at 400. Now I'll do the next instruction, which was load the next character to start E in the register down here, A register 45. Now we're going to hit the F11, store it at 401. Okay, you see it's stored it. Yeah, there's your E. Um, yeah, so on and so forth. Okay, and that's what's going to be on the screen. So when I go, I'll just go ahead and uh, and, and step through that. 
that will just keep stepping through it and you can just see it growing on the on the screen it just keeps growing and i'll go ahead and say go ahead and run it okay now it's on the screen so that's that's what it was doing if you look at when you look in memory what's actually going on in memory and, and the registers mess is very useful to learn how to do this stuff because you can sit there and you can single cycle through your program to see exactly what's going on yeah it's incredibly useful it even lets you have multiple data screens you can like if you're loading from a table let's say your hello world that you're pointing to the actual text you can point to a, a, a one little window that shows that so you can kind of see what memory location is going through to pick up the characters you were loading another one showing where you're storing the screen you can have multiple debug windows if it's jumping between routines like it's it's quite a powerful debugger i use it all the time okay i just I just opened up another one okay this one here was our program remember we've our program started at 1100 yeah and one part of it was, was it 1200 one part was at 1300 one part was at 14 and one part was at 15 so they're all they're all in there and you can sit there and see what's doing you can actually go in and you know, get down here here was our here's our four example at the the bottom of this here i had some examples hello world hello world lowercase hello world and hello world with the basic character set in there. You remember the minus 40s on them instead of having a four up? I just put them in so you can see the difference in them. So when you go back to the debug, you can see how I, that's why they were, if you noticed, it might have been silly where I argued in different places. I did it so you could see it here in the, in the uh, debugger screen. But we could go in here and we can change this here to 45. Okay, let's make 45, 45, 45, okay? Now, you can see we've changed it. Now, if we was to run that again, it's gonna come out. I need to get, go here. Then if we do the execute, nope, so I think that would probably be three, wouldn't it? Okay, we get all the E's that I just typed in. So I changed it, I actually changed the physical memory of that what's in that program. I like it. Then you got to your um, basic character codes and the main debugger just said, I don't know. <laughs> H dot 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 dot. <laughs> the last example there. He says, O R L D, I don't know what those characters mean. That's right. Because <laughs> they were all they're, they're lined up, okay. So I hope that isn't too confusing. I know it, it does get confusing if you've never done it before, but with the debugger, you can go in and change stuff and experiment with it and, and just and, and learn that way. Now, and the single step debugging of the code actually is quite handy because you can just keep tapping F11 to go one instruction. You can see what registers change, if it affects memory. If you have a memory window open to wherever, like you did a store or something like that, you can actually see that live happen. It, it's, it's very useful for debugging things. Uh, I suggest everybody to learn how to use MESS or MAME, whichever one you prefer. You know, they're kind of the same. I've just used MESS all along, and I like it better because it's got, uh, uh, it's easier to change things on the screen for me, it was, so. Where does one get MESS? Uh, go to Google and type in MESS, and it pops well. up. On yeah, I so, thought it was I thought it was merged in the main. 
it is it is but there are you can get some distributions that just have mess kind of broken out of the main part and then there's a an add-on for that for windows that's called mess ui that puts kind of like that menu bar across the top there and so um you can get distributions of mess i know i don't know how to do it on a mac or linux but i know for windows i can just download a binary there's a website i think i've got it on i'm a coconut.com under emulators where like you could get the full MAME distribution or you can get just the mess and the mess ui parts but right. I, I only know how to get those for windows um i know there's a way to build them but that's above my head um so if not you could just use the whole MAME slash mess thing and you're gonna you're still gonna get the debugger uh, that's still going to be there. Uh, so I think what's different in, in this approach that we're looking at right now than what the Steve Bjork approach was, is Steve Bjork was teaching us instruction sets on this is this is what the register is, this is what this mnemonic does. And so what you're now doing is, is giving us a code example um, to actually run some of the... I do remember the load A, the store A um, stuff that Steve had talked about back then, but I had not really applied it. You're now showing us a way to apply it but again, right now, if you're just watching this, you're kind of just watching it, right? So what you need to do now is to take that source code that's on Discord, plug it into your editor of choice and run it and play with it and see what it does, right? Um, this is based on, so Fred introduced this, it's not Fred, George. George, where did I get Fred? Because I'm looking at the live chat here, Fred Provencia. Um, so um, George mentioned a couple of weeks ago that there's a few things you need to know in order to do this, right? You need the long branch never set up. You need MAME or MESS, you need your editor of choice, and then understanding a little bit of your uh, ASCII charts for the COCO are going to be helpful, right? So that was some of the precursor to this. Um, so what we're not doing right now is we're not going through, you know, and typing it in on, you know, live and typing in the code live and stuff like that. So you, you the source code is there, you can plug it in and you can play with it. Um, but this what's different here is that the source code samples are actually putting things on the screen for you and so hopefully there's going to be uh, an association a visual association of what the code is doing to what you see on the screen if that makes any sense but um i know right now if you're just watching this and you've never typed in anything it's still probably not helping you right so i'm sorry right now there's a lot of people <laughs> saying okay i'm hearing blah 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 i'm seeing blah 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 on the screen but what the heck does all that mean so you kind of got to play with it. And, and a refresher course might be to rewatch the Steve Bjork series that we did, which is in its own playlist. Um, uh, to, and the long branch never. The, and then the long branch never, which yeah. gets you into setting up the environment and then doing a hello world sample. And this is taking that long branch never hello world sample and giving you five different ways to, to do hello world on the screen. Um, and it's kind of neat here because you can run them all through different memory spots. You can just execute the different versions of that uh, 1100, 1200, 1300, 1400, 1500, and see the different five different versions on there. So I, I think it's kind of neat, but I think, you, you know, you're going to have to go out and do this now for it to I, sink in, right? I, I agree. That's that's why I try to make it as simple as possible to type them in or copy the code. Or like I, said, I put them out there in a zip file and then play with them and change them. Okay. And that's why I did the sample one started it. One, you know, 1,100 sample to it, 1,200. Better make it simple and basic, but get yeah. there and change the pieces. Uh, go down and change these messages and see what happens. Right. Uh, and practice, play with it, and that's, you know, and, and get through it, okay? This is the basic, you run the basic program, and it will do it for you. But that's not the way to get in there where you type in the execute and 
And then if you learn to use the debugger, you know, you'll love it. Okay, you actually learn how to step through all these these various things. Now, uh, and and I don't I, I don't want to get too deeper than what you've already done here, George. And I appreciate what you've done here. But just real quick, as a compare and contrast for me in my mind, since John Lowry's here too, you've done a YouTube video where you're doing this not in a straight up VD, VDG byte text mode, but you did this in kind of a semi graphics text mode, right? Where every character now requires 12 bytes of memory vertically, right? So you did a demo on YouTube, uh, which maybe we'll cover in the news. Uh, John Lowry, are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so doing this in a text mode to put the H on the screen takes one byte of memory. But yep. in semi-graphics mode, it's 12 bytes, right? And you well, have... Technically this, is, technically, this is a semi-graphics mode. This is semi-graphic mode four, right. which takes one byte to put one character on the screen. Right. Uh, the higher semi-graphic modes start splitting the text cell up into more than just one you know one byte one byte yeah it, it takes multiple bytes to get the entire character to display like in semi graphics mode 24 you have to write like uh, to put the letter a on the screen in sg4 you poke the letter 65 the number 65 into say uh you know memory location 1024 or hex 400 and that puts an A on the screen at the top left corner of the screen. Right. To do that in semi-graphics mode 12, you got to put one at hex 400, one at hex 420, one at hex 440. And you got to do that 12 times. 12 times, right, to get it on the screen. Yeah. Right. And, right. And each time you do it, another line of the text character displays. It's almost, so after like, the, uh, it's almost like pouring it on the screen, right? Like if you were to pour paint and yeah. watch the paint run down the wall, it's kind of like pouring the letter or down like onto the screen. Like filling a glass. With, yeah, like, yeah. Or, yeah. you know, you're right. More like paint running down a wall. Yeah. Each line. Yeah. Every time you poke another number in, it goes further down the uh, the text character. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And so the code to do that, to set up that screen mode, is going to be a little bit different, too, because you're not just writing straight straight to the normal VDG starting point. You have to kind of set up a graphics mode, or is it still the um, same starting point, technically? If you're, do, if you're working strictly from machine language, you could start at, uh, you know, hex 400. Um, but I was, I moved it to a different location when I was doing it cause I was doing it from basic mm -hmm. and I was jumping around the basic program because the, the text screen starts at, at memory location 1024 or hex 400 and goes through 1535 or hex five FF. And then after that, depending on whether you're disc or, or not disc based system, that's where the basic program begins. If you have a disc based system there's it goes down a little further so to kind of avoid that i had to jump around it so i didn't mash over because otherwise you'll just mash over the top of the basic program because the basic program basically starts right after the screen the the display area of the screen like a set job uh yeah well either or it's still past the screen memory or slightly <laughs> past the screen memory if you're disk yeah, because disk reserves a bunch of disk buffers, which is dangerous too. Because if you don't disable the disk stuff, you can actually like, corrupt a sector a disk, cache or yeah. something like that and cause all kinds of problems. That's why I jump around it, because then that way I'm out of the way of the disk buffers and the the basic program if I'm working it. Or just when you exit, it doesn't go. It doesn't like lock the machine up or something like that, where you have to reset. Because if you jump over the basic stuff when you return, it goes back to basic, and you're just boom, 
right back in basic. Now, one thing I do want to mention too is that we do have a channel up for George's assembly language series set up on Discord. So if you not only just to grab the samples, but if you have any questions, yep. like maybe you need a bit more detail on how hex versus decimal right, works, right, or, right, right, or you know how the mess debugger works, etc. Like, feel free to pop in there and ask questions, and George or some of the rest oh, of us yeah. can answer those questions as well. I'm sure there will be questions because I know this is very confusing to start with, especially if you're a Don programmer, or if you've been a basic programmer, or a C programmer, just when you get down to the nuts and bolts of things, it's a lot different, right? Now, <laughs> I hope I can explain it. Right. I, I, and I started in 1968 assembly language programming, okay? So most people weren't even born then when I started. And, and <laughs> one of the questions that had come up in the live chat earlier, too, had to do with something about uh, what they call position-independent code, and that has to do with... Uh, can you just explain the definition of position independent code maybe without getting into coding itself? Yeah, because what I did here, none of it was. This was just with hard-coded addresses, you know, loaded in at 1,000 and everything that's in there. Uh, and it, the... Uh, so your examples are, your assembly examples are actually literally position dependent because you've said this routine starts at location 1,000. Or 1100 hex, right? Right. Well, actually, you could relocate his code. You could change that origin statement to 1500 or 2000 or whatever you want it to be. The thing about position independence is like if you say branch, if you like create a loop and then you do a comparison, you say compare A to zero, branch if equal, back to the loop. Okay, well, when it assembles, it's going to say branch and go back this many bytes. So no matter where in memory you put it, it's going to jump back, say, 15 bytes or whatever each time. Uh, but if you hard code things, if you say jump to this specific address, when you move the code, it may break it. But you said this instruction is branch always to loop three. This, this right. Okay. This is the branch in this F8. That really is a minus. Okay. It means it's going to just minus if you, if you calculate calculate it's going to branch right back here to loop three which is here right yeah. so we have to teach people how to do signed hex and stuff a better example just to show how that works here is actually the branch if equal to done three above that because the zero four is jump four bytes ahead oh yeah okay this one here branch equal to done three okay so it's going to branch. right but look at what it assembles to that two seven oh four the two seven is the branch if equal the oh four is the number of bytes to jump forward Okay, which we're, which once it's doing this instruction, it's sitting here. So that's plus one, plus two, plus three, plus four. So it hits that return. It's that's all that's in the instruction itself. Because that that is that is independent. But now if that was a jump, it would have it. It would always jump to one three zero f. And if you move the code someplace else, you know you you got to position independent is different. Okay, and other platforms I worked on. Okay, you. Well, even like uh, Nitrous 9, okay, you don't argue these things at specific places, okay? Now, I don't know how one's added them for you. You argue them at zero, and the loader just loaded where it wanted to, and all your code had to be uh, basically go stay with inside the limits, okay? Like this branch instruction was. It's been okay, a long since I did any OS 9 stuff, believe me. In other words, all your jumps, as long as all your jumps are relative, are like jump x number of bytes forward or back from right here right it's relative versus literal absolute 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 right, right. right. so
Right. So, so in your done three example, because this assembler is not position independent, when you jump to the label done three, it translates that into jump to a specific address. And yeah. the label done three is gone. You're jumping to a specific address. And if you move that code, it's broken unless you reassemble it with a different origin. Well, in this case, it's 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 position independent because it's saying branch uh, to done three. Well, done three is compiling to one three zero f to that. But if you change the origin statement, done three is going to be in a different spot, and it's still going to branch when it compiles. It's going to have a different number there. But you can't just move it. You have to actually. Yeah. Right. So, um, let, so let me. So, oh yeah, absolutely. You have to recompile. So let's it. let's ask a more specific question. Like the con the concern over position dependent or position independent. When is it even a concern? Is it a concern where you're trying to disassemble somebody else's code, and and now I'm trying to make this work? Or I want to, or let's say I'm trying to hack a game that used to run on ROM and I want it to run on disk. And is that when the concerns for position dependent there, there's there's multiple times it comes a concern i mean os9 because it can load the program anywhere in memory depending especially on a level one system we only have 64k like i could load the game biosphere you know from a shell and it might load it say 4,000 hex the next time i might be running another program in the background and i'm loading it on top of that well now it's going to put it at 5,000. like it has no idea where it's going to be putting it it depends on what else you're running on the system so in os9 it, it's pretty critical especially with level one um, let's say you're writing a ROM pack game like you know Rick and Dale and a bunch of others did back in the old days. You might write it to run on your 32K machine in the RAM area to test it and make sure it works, but you want it to be able to run up on the C000 range where the ROM cart will actually be. Well, you could hard code it for that, but that means you have to actually load it up there, which means you need a 64K machine, which you know a lot of developers back in the day did not have in the early days. So you would write it, just to be easy, you'd write it position independent. You'd run it at 4,000 or something to so run 32K. And then once you made sure it worked, you would just offset it up to C00, dump it onto an EEPROM, and you're done. So what makes the code position independent? Is it how you write your source code to begin with? Where you're, yes. You're, yes. So yes. Your, your source code yeah. is jumping to labels versus specific addresses. Well, no, you're always doing relative jumps. It's relative about jumps. jumping from this spot forward or back X number of bytes. Yeah. As long as you're doing that, then you're okay, because no matter where you compile it, you know, like like in this example here, the BEQ to done three compiles to two seven oh four. So the two seven is the branch if equal. The O four means go forward four bytes in the program. So it's jumping over the store A, comma X plus and the branch to loop three and is landing on the right there where George is pointing on the one three OF. So it's BEQ to done three compiles to branch to memory location one three zero F and it hits that return and goes back. Now, if you were to change the origin of this program to say 2000, two zero zero zero, then it would be that one three zero F would become mm -hmm. two Z two zero zero F. Right. Right. Okay. And so no matter where you put it, when you recompile it, it's going to have the correct, you're always going forward four bytes in the program. Right. But in this case here, your, your four bytes is relative versus absolute. Yeah. Right. Now, if I said jump to memory location 130F. That's not position independent at that point. That's... Well, when it's compiled here, it would work. But if you moved it someplace else, you would break it. Even if you moved it one byte, it's going right. to break it. Right. Because now it's 
jumping to one three zero F and we don't know what's there. So honestly, the people who that that had to probably go back to the days when people were hand assembling things and they didn't have the editors and all this kind of stuff, right? So mm -hmm. I think the only people who hand assembled were the people that <laughs> wrote the editors more. It was just like I don't think Well, I mean, I mean as Steve York talked about how when he did Audio Spectrum Analyzer, he hand assembled that. He didn't use an editor or anything else. So he had Speed to Racer was done hand assembly. So too, they had to the in thought. their mind know where they were going, how many really? bytes think, forward yes. and backwards and stuff, yeah. You got to be kidding was, me. A lot of that was done in the old cartridges, the original cartridges. Cuz you That's had, crazy. You couldn't move that stuff around because I remember I remember disassembling them cartridges with a program called Dynamite, you know, and they had hard coded stuff in there that you know, you it, you couldn't move it. Like you say, if it was supposed to be at 16K, that's where it was. It couldn't be moved. So in order to port some of those things, they had to make it position independent, or they had to make it go to a relative location versus an absolute. Yeah. Some of the cartridges actually did use uh, you know, absolute addressing, specifically as a very primitive form of copy protection. If you tried to download it into a 32K machine and shift it away from the cartridge, it would actually totally screw up and crash. Yep, it would. Right, and they even had little programs. Once they figured out the 64K RAM mode, some of the cartridges were came with like a loader that would put it in all RAM mode, copy it back into the cartridge area, and execute it so it would work. Yeah, and then some cartridges would add copy protection would try to overwrite itself. If you're on ROM, that doesn't do anything. If you're in RAM, oh yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Some okay. Well, I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get too to, too far down the rabbit hole because I I, I, yeah. I can imagine. I know when I I know when I had my rage quit and my head exploded. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to do this to somebody else. So um, here's the jump instruction here. Okay. Yeah. Jump subroutine to print at. Okay. It there's a hard coded address. A five five. Because that's a ROM address. That's a yeah. ROM address. So okay. that that technically is not position independent. That's that's. Right. But if you but if you assumed I had another program in memory that I had, you know, hard coded, and it wasn't, uh, you know, when I moved it, this would fail then. But the the ROM it's it's there. But that's that's the difference of the instruction. Okay. Yeah. And it's possible if somebody patched basic and shifted routines around because they wanted to optimize this routine, so they had to shift this routine somewhere else. Then this might break on that modified ROM because now you're saying that print at routine has to be at a five five seven if you. Then any tweaking of basic to move it around to insert new routines or something that would bust right and that, that happened in between this basic one and this basic 1.1 that definitely happened exactly okay and that would be uh the the uh get get character okay let's go over here the the get character routine originally was at uh a128 or something of that nature you, you should go here to get a character, okay? An indirect address, because A0000, there's an address of where the routine is. And they changed where the routine was in between them two DOSes. It was a different address. Believe me, I know I wrote a program that actually fudged and didn't go. To, it went directly to the routine. They moved the routine in the next version. Right. Yeah. That's why they had those uh, those jump tables there so you no matter what if as long as you're going to uh, a zero 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 who cares where that's pointing to that can move all day and night because you're always calling the routine at, at indirect at a zero 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 exactly oh. okay yeah that was a way of feature proofing it if they would get some additions to the ROMs. so when you when you make that call you're doing 
you're doing a JSR and then you're putting the A000 in brackets, which means go to the memory location A000, read the value that's in A000 and A001, and that's the the actual address of the routine. Indirect addressing. I got here okay. my example, and I always keep it here. Jump subroutine, put it in brackets, get character, and you'll get to where you want to go. Yep, just exactly like he has it written. I didn't notice that, <laughs> but yeah, so, like you have it written there. Yep. So this is why you're always supposed to use the documented ROM subroutines and not the possibly actual much more location, efficient, right? Yeah. Possibly much more efficient partial undocumented ROM. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was a bit of the caveat. The other thing is too is that the basic ROMs didn't make really big jump tables. There's a few very core basic yeah. functions like oh, read a key, yeah. print one right. character to the screen, but it's like clearing the screen or clearing uh, you know a graphic screen or something like that there is no indirect one so you're kind of at the whim of the basic rom you're dealing yeah. with and then uh, from coco 3 one it changed because so some of them clear screen routines they they put hooks in there to do the high res text depending what you're in if you're in low tech or high tech or high res i'm sorry the routine has changed it's moved by the way this here is by coco includes okay whenever i compile a program this is the clues that i've got built over the years of where things are or things I've done so I can just include this and I don't have to keep retyping it in the program like I did earlier on this other one I uh, I added them manually so you could just see them okay I, I put a man in here manually I have this includes statement it has all these different things and all these well I get in we'll get in this later all the different subroutines I have in memory all the different color schemes you can have here's all the, the disk if you will, read and write to disk, here's all the opcodes and stuff like that. So I have one include file, which same as the .h file, if you do it in C, okay? If you, you don't, everything's are constant then. Okay. Uh, I, I would say to those people who have the questions, Discord is the place for those questions because that's where things are gonna be a little bit more interactive and you can get uh, more detailed. I don't know that we can get into lengthy interactive coding discussions on the show because this is not a program. The show would be 10 hours show. long if we yeah. did that. Yeah, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, but now we have a person who's available to us to help us out and that is George and we, we will have some, re, some uh, continuing segments where we'll go over some code samples on the show to show you them visually and when you wanna try them yourself as you're playing with them and you have questions, hopefully George can answer. And then we have some other knowledgeable folks here too, like Curtis and John Lowry and Rick Eulin. And so, uh, yeah, and Nick, there's, yeah. There's other programs on that, in that zip that I had in case we got to them. Okay, one is uh, this one here, it's a hex out. If you, want, if you want to print one of them registers out, how do you print the hex decimal out to where it shows up on the screen as 1A2B? There's a program that does that. We have another one out there for when you type in characters, you want to type characters in. Okay, you want to type a hex character, and this one here will you can read it for you and put it back out. And then uh, one last one here. Okay, if you have a binary field, okay, and you want to display the binary stuff, there's another program out there that does that. Take take them, assemble them, try them, play with them, see if they work, see what's good, what's bad about it. Ask questions. I don't I don't mind. Good, good, good. One other one other thing. Okay, I. All this stuff here on the screen is in uh, uh, Notepad++, okay? It's a good editor, but I'm going to put a word in for Visual Studio's 
code, not Visual Studio, the actual Visual Studio, but the Visual Studio code. Looks very similar, okay, doesn't it? But you know, so you We're not my, seeing your screen anymore if you're sharing. Well, I'm not sharing anymore? No. Oh. All right, well, then we'll have to talk about the third time. I wonder how that went away, but... I think you, you must have hit stop at some point. Okay. Yeah, and I, I I need to take a potty break. I don't know if anybody else does or not, but I need to take a break, and so maybe we can take a commercial break and then come back. Okay, right, so what are we looking at here? So this is the Visual Studio Code. Yeah, are we sharing again? I see it. I see it. Okay. This is real quick. This here is the same program that we had before. Okay, now I move the mouse over this load A instruction. I keep mm -hmm. pointing with my finger. You never see my finger, do you? No, don't see okay. it. It will pop up the uh, opcode, okay, and it shows you what that what that instruction does. The store A, it will tell you what it does. Okay, so any of these instructions that are in there are are loaded. Okay, it gives you what that instruction does, but just by hovering over it. Other things it can do is if you say uh, this hello met. Okay, with if you look at it, it just gives you a little idea what it says. It says message to display. Now, how does it know that that's the message to display because it's my code? It actually looks down there and looks, it looks at it. your comment. It looks for any comments, okay, and we'll put it in when you hover over it, okay? Other things it has here is, well, references. This is reference. You click on that, and it will pop up another window, and we'll show you exactly where, where it is, okay? And let me ask you this about this editor. Is this only run on Windows, or do they have it for other operating systems too, other non-Microsoft operating systems? It's pretty much for everything. Okay. And this is called Visual Studio Code. Visual Studio Code. It's not the whole Visual Studio suite. It's just Visual Studio Code, so it's kind of like an editor on steroids. Yes. That's okay. It. I like it. It looks good. The references, okay, if you, if you look at one more, if I can find it. This one has three references. So when I click on it, it gives me all three of them over here. And I can real quick, I can go and look and say, okay, how am I referencing it there? How am I using it here? And how am I using it there? Okay, it just really makes your programming a lot, much easier. That was my sale point for that's what I use, so. Okay, so, Which, yeah. one you're, whichever one you're, you're comfortable with. Matt, um, and so those who are already developing and cross-assembling, you guys probably already have your environment of choice. If yeah. you don't have an environment and you want a step-by-step -step way to set one up, we do recommend Paul Fiscarelli's Long Branch Never because it does walk you through setting up exactly. Notepad++ and your uh, LWASM and your uh, disk. What's the other one called? The tools? The uh, LW tool chain, tool, tool shed, right? Tool shed. So, right, so you need LWASM and tool shed, right? So... Those are some of the ingredients, and then you, and then another tool that I am using that's not completely available off the shelf yet. But if you ask Eric Canales very nicely, you might be able to get one from him. But Eric Canales is working on six Dev09, which is his editor assembler um, that is Windows only at the moment, I think. But uh, but it will be, be available for other things. And so there, there's there's no shortage of ways to to edit and assemble. Um, and you'll find the one that you like. And if you don't have any, then there's some tutorials on how to get one built. All right. Yeah. I got to take a commercial break so I can uh, take a restroom break, but we'll be back with some news and other things. And thank you, George. And if you want to hang out for a while, you're welcome to. Um, yeah. If anybody's got any ideas on a way that could be improved, 
let me know and I'll modify to what we're doing. So I, I don't know. Like I say, I've been doing it so long I forget half. So. Right. Well, we got to start somewhere. So as long as we're starting and as long as we continue, we can progress. So we'll start somewhere as people are watching this and watching the replays and as people are trying it at home and doing it on Discord, I'm sure those questions will come up. I won't have any until I start trying your code samples, which I hope to be able to do this weekend. We have a long weekend, right? So we have a three-day weekend, hopefully some of us. Um, we do. Yeah, some of us do. All right, so commercial break, and we'll be back. We did Coco Do. Ooh, what are we going to do now? Let's do... Okay, here we go. We're going to throw some Fletcher in here for you. Here's a hi-fi bargain from your nearby Radio Shack store. Save $100 on our exclusive realistic 77 AM-FM stereo receiver. Only $159.95 during the sale. With audio component features like FM muting, push-button tape monitor, main remote speaker switching, in a genuine walnut veneer case. The ideal control center for your new music system. The sale-priced realistic 77 receiver. Only at Radio Shack, a Tandy company. Tired of your color computer art input device being low res? Joey has you covered again. Switch between three joysticks or mice. Select the left or right port on your Coco. No more swapping joystick ports. Switch between standard and high resolution mode. Supports the Tandy and the Max high resolution mode. Pre-order yours today at cocoman.biz. The music is back. The mini ice drum available now. Only from Retro Innovations. Go the number four retro.com. Fletcher, I don't need that report tomorrow. That's great, JT. I need it tonight. Oh, JT. Fletcher Lack saved over 300 clams, you dig? When she got her a Model 100 from Radio Shack, like a good little consumer. It's like... A word processor, a phone directory, and dialer. You dig, man? And even like, you know, can groove with your office computer. Fletcher? Fletcher. You'll go far, Fletcher. You'll go far. ESP 8266-01 RS232 TTL Wi-Fi Network 4-pin DIN Fitbanger DB9 PC IP DriveWire 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 Oh, I'm much happier breaking stuff Hello, I am the speech and sound pack And you are listening to Coco Talk and we're back. Yeah, we have a few people who had not seen the sock puppet version of the Fletcher commercial that was brought to us by Allison Denou. Uh, she had given us that a little while ago. So that was that was cute, right? 
Nothing like raising the production value on the show by using sock puppets. <laughs> it worked for, what's her face, Sherry and Lamb, what, Lamb Chop, whatever that thing was I called. Right? <laughs> so thank you for that, George. And um, yeah, when we, what was it, last week when we had on the Canadian Retro Rewind guy, I was thinking about this, right? Because it's like, if you get into this community, you're never going to make everybody happy, right? So if you could make the best piece of hardware in the world, you're not going to make everybody happy. You could make the best software that's ever been, and you're never going to make everybody happy. And and when it comes to doing, uh, trying to do a series, it's not going to make everybody happy because everybody's going to want something different. But what I like about this format here, which is different than just because you could say, um, oh, why don't we just uh, make a YouTube series on the assembly of source code. Well, you could do that. You could pre-record all this and make it a series. But the problem with watching a video is a video, you can't ask the video questions, right? A video is not interactive. So this is kind of a hybrid format where we're going to have a visual show and tell. We're going to show you some stuff. We're going to show you the code. We're going to show you what it looks like on a, on a machine. We're going to talk about it a little bit here on the show. And then that's not where it ends, though, because if that was this was just video only, that's where it would end. Right. So but this is going to become interactive. So we're, I, I think this hybrid approach will hopefully be helpful to, to some people where we can watch it. We can see it now. If I'm interested now, I'm going to take the next step. I'm going to try it out and then I'm going to start asking questions. So I think that for those who want to learn assembly, I, I think this is a good way to do it. But time will tell how how people receive that. Right. So, um, but thank you, you see Jim's George. Comment? What's that? Hi, hey, live video. How do I mute the boring people on this show? <laughs> uh -huh, yes. So, anyways, thank you for that, and then hopefully we'll have more of those as as the weeks progress and so on and so forth, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So now, uh, L. Curtis Boyle, are you excited to bring us news? Oh, sorry, what? Are you excited? Because David Ladd's not here. Usually David's our excited guy. But Curtis, are you excited to do news today? <laughs> I am very excited, just like the speech soundtrack. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, do you, I'll get to give you guys a choice. Do you want the game on news first or do you want regular news first? Game on. Game on news. All right. So we're going to skip the infographic and we're just going to jump straight to the thing. Um, so, Curtis, go ahead and you give us the news in any way. You are the news correspondent, so you give us the news in the way you feel like giving it to us. Happily, gotcha. Okay. And by the way, Mark Overholzer has to go. Thank you, Mark. So he won't be able to post the news links, and that's okay. If you need the links to what we're talking about, they're also in Discord, and they're in the news summaries section. So you can get all these links later on. Go ahead, Curtis. Get you stop sharing. Nope. Um, that shouldn't stop you, but I will stop sharing anyways. Go ahead. Okay, so game on news first. Uh, let's go to the first actual story this time. So Cuthbert Dragon here has been doing some more of his Dragon videos, and most of them are stuff we've seen before, or, you know, Dragon versions of Coco this games, is so they... window reflection guy, not lava lamp. Guy, yes. Right? Okay. Yeah. All right. So I want to yeah. make sure we get our YouTubers <laughs> correct there. So yeah. So he's done a bunch this week, probably about twenty or thirty. And most of them are Coco conversions that just run on a different, you know, graphic mode because they didn't have artifact colors, and then some of the uniquely dragon ones we've seen before. I decided to pick uh, three this particular week that I don't remember seeing before. Uh, so I thought I'd play those so that people can get an idea of some games here. So this one's a three D tic tac toe type game. No.
the only way tic-tac-toe can get any better. Well, no, this one's even better yet because it uses space invaders. Oh, my, it's tic-tac-toe in space. It's kind of like uh, the... Uh, it's kind of like Temple of Ram. Temple of Ram approach, yeah. <laughs> I, I, like, we've got several 3D tic-tac-toes on the Coco that I've seen before, but this is the first time I've ever seen on any platform use a space invader theme yeah. to do tic-tac-toe. This is the only anyway. one I've ever heard with a, a super annoying beat. Now, an interesting comment just showed up in the chat here from Sixy. Of course, he's from the UK where this was sold. He said, uh, Oasis Software which did this, did a basic compiler, so this might have been done with the basic compiler they sold. Hmm. pretty stink, but does. Oh, Lord. Somebody to shoot me now. Okay. All right. <laughs> We've seen it. We've seen it, and, and it can never be unseen, but let's see something else. <laughs> You're killing me, Curtis. Come on. Close that tab before I stab my ears. Oh, I thought you were enjoying the sounder cheat. No. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Second Miser. one here is called Miser's Dream. It's a bit of a later one, and I don't know why YouTube is stalling when it's up here, but... I like the artwork on it. Ooh, I like it. Ooh. So I'm, I'm maybe six. You can correct me if I'm wrong here, because this is not a game I've seen before. But I think you're steering the money stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think I have seen something like this on a video you've covered in the past. Um, there was a game similar to this where you had to get the physics right for things to make their way to where they had to be. So I remember seeing something else like this. Um, if not this one. But it's a pretty pretty unique looking game. I don't recall seeing too many games like this on any other platform. Yeah, and he, he's saying you have to tilt the plat you have to tilt those platforms. platforms. Yeah. Oh right. So you have to like lower it for them to get on and then raise it for them to go down. So yeah. It's uh Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of roller controller, that Coco Three game of Spectral Associates. Okay. One of the very first third party games ever released for the Coco Three. Because it's kind of like you have to turn on and off these platforms to drop balls into the right colored sections here here you're trying to get into the piggy bank but you're manipulating the play field basically to, to accomplish your goal yeah you and that's them. similar yeah that's neat yeah i think i, I have don't. seen something like this before but i like it i like that idea it kind of reminds like, me of like angry birds a little bit you're having to manipulate physics in the world to achieve your objectives you know yeah it's kind of like donkey kong except you're the girders <laughs> <laughs> i had not thought of it that way before yeah. but yeah, yeah. It's true and next one up is called Galactic Gus. This reminds me of Seamus a little bit. It's kind of the uh, maze type levels. Seems to move very fast. Yeah, the sound's a little bit annoying. Um, even more so than the 3D tic-tac-toe. It's just this droning thing. But you have to pick up fuel um, and then other objects. And then you have all these different things to dodge, including other monsters or, you know, animated. Maybe Nick Morentes kind of can disassemble some of this to improve some of his crap games. That <laughs> 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 thing looks like a giant, giant Pac-Man mouth over there. It's like fall into my mouth. But a lot of screens. I mean, there was a lot of games of the dragon that did this multi-screen. Yeah, you're yeah this kind of reminds me of uh, Seamus in that regard. Yeah. You pick up the items. And I keep thinking that white bar is part of the game. It's yeah, I know. Oh, now we just changed modes. Yeah, this must be the deep yeah, caverns. That's, that's, the the mul that's multi-layer graphics, that white bar there. All right. I got yeah. the special two-layer VDG. 
Yeah, the anyway, speed is good. The speed of the things, of the objects on the screen is very good. Yeah. Uh, the arrow pointed the direction you had to go, huh? Drop fuel here. You can see, like, once you collect your fuel, you drop it there. Interesting. Very fast. Very fast, though. So that was the three new ones that I hadn't really seen before for the uh, dragon. So is this a Jim Gary? An of course, because, you know, Jim Gary, you know, has to write something every week or multiple somethings every week. <laughs> so the first one here is called Colorific. And uh, it's a port of a game from the Alice machine, ironically Ooh. enough. So this is the uh, MC10 clone sold and made in France. And it's based on the original game by Jay Durrani and Free Game Blot, 1984. So this is a kind of a strategy Calors. game of some sort. Not quite as complicated as Springster. Okay. What must we do with these colors? I don't know. Let's just. We have it. lots of instructions. A bit of music in it. Do not confuse a caloric with a colonic. They're different things. So, uh, okay. So that's what I've been doing wrong all this time. <laughs> okay, so this is highlighting the square. Oh, is this kind of like the paint game where you have to f you touch one color and it's similar? Yeah, the flood it. You, you, similar you, you, to flood it. Yeah, similar to flood it in, in okay. general principle. Okay. Anyway, that's one you can download from Jim's that's site. Of a thousand neat. different. Uh, yeah. Do you wish to continue? And the second one he did is an MC10 demo. McDemo. I'd like a McDemo Deluxe. Now, this place. is a demo that was originally on the Alice as well that he ported over. Ah. The T-R-S-A-D Microcolor Color Computer. Yeah, notice they spelled it right and everything. Yeah. Ooh. So I don't know if this was meant as an in-store demo type thing or... Neat. Oh, this is like the dot matrix paper here, right? Right. I see what you did there, and I approve. Nine color graphics. Nine colors. How many colors does your computer have? Ours has nine. <laughs> Actually, had more than that if you got technical, but ooh, let's not get technical on this show. Fast uh, forward a little bit here. How about ooh? Okay. But it's a, it's a quite well done demo. I, I almost expect demo. that freaking rainbow cat to come flying by the screen when I see that <laughs> bar cats. like that. Yeah, the one that farts rainbows out its butt or whatever. So, yeah. Oh, I like the ship here. That reminds me of the uh, game that uh, Diego was working on, the shipyard thing. Oh, look at that. It's got smoke coming out of its stack. Uh, now for something completely different. Oh, more serious. Ooh, ser ooh more serious. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Oh, a, par a, bite, a bar chart? A bar graph. Ooh, a bar graph. Bar graph. Very serious. Uh-oh. Now we have... Ooh, sine waves. Sine waves. Ooh. Look at this. Sine and cosine. I needed cosiners in the past before my credit improved. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I, believe this was, I believe this was meant to be an in-store demo like Spectrum yeah, used to no, do I like Coco, that. So Absolutely. it's kind of cool to, to see what they did in, in France. Translated English now, thanks to Jim. That is cool. Next up, some loser guy made another blog post. Hey, Are you here, Nick? Nick, Nick Morantes. Yeah, I love this one. I, I was reading this on my phone, so it was kind of hard to see it on the screen, but I was working uh, Friday. It's 
came up this. I think Nick fell asleep here, so we can't even talk about his own What is a Sprite? In the real world, a Sprite is a colorless, lemon-lime flavored drink created by the Coca-Cola company. (laughs) There you go. Something exciting. I just woke up. (laughs) (laughs) The Sprites in Zero Hour contain zero calories. There Uh, it is. (laughs) A real Sprite. That's right. (laughs) I still prefer Mondew, but anyway. Um, So, Nick, did you want to kind of summarize or... Ah, oh, well, no, the blog pretty well says everything I, I've got uh, this in this chapter. I got a few things moving, like the uh, the, the platforms, um, the uh, there's some fires which appear in the game. I just thought I'd put them up uh, as a test to, to make sure that the uh, animations are going to work. And then I started doing uh, sprites. So the big thing with the sprites is that um, trying to do trying to use compile sprites uh, trying to make them easier to create because as I explained on the page they they're not like you know what I call traditional sprites in that sprites you know you have your uh, sprite graphics a little bitmap stored somewhere in memory and then you basically copy that up to the screen when you want to display it uh, that's I just call that a tra- traditional sprites. Now that that's not the fastest way nowadays. Uh, compile sprites are, and the big difference with compile sprites is that there are no graphics stored anywhere in the system anymore. You break the sprite down beforehand as code. So rather than than fetching graphics uh, from one memory location to copy it to the screen you are actually writing data directly to the screen using code so if a by a certain byte needs you know a certain a certain memory location needs a certain byte for to to put the graphics up you write that that byte directly onto the screen you don't fetch it from anywhere else you just write it load register with the byte store it straight on the screen so that saves a lot of time uh, a, a fetching of data uh, when you want to merge a sprite with the background it uh, eliminates some steps there um, so it, it's quicker basically compile sprites are faster but they are a pain to do manually and they can also take more there. memory yeah they take a lot of memory and they're quite in they're not because it's code and it's lots of lines of code Although the code looks bigger and you think, oh, that's going to be slower. Well, it's not because you've eliminated loops completely. So the code is like one big unrolled loop. So it just goes from start to end very quickly. uh, But it's just tedious to do. So I thought this time around, I'm going to have a few more sprites than what I've had in my past, past few games. I want to make it a bit easier to manage and create these uh, compiled sprites. So the thing, the main thing I did in this chapter is to write a little basic program which would take the graphics that I would draw up to be the sprites and then analyze each of those uh, squares of sprites, all those areas of sprites, and work out the code needed to draw that as a compiled sprite. And then you it pokes the code into an area of memory 
uh, which I keep away separate from my main code. And uh, the program is just in basic. It does take a while. And but the thing is, the end result is I end up with I can com create compile sprites from all my graphics. It may take 10 minutes, but it takes a lot more time than that to do it manually. Mm. So it's done that. So now all, I, I, in my program, I basically just say, I want the sprite to go here and use sprite number uh, 10, for example. So I write a low register with the number 10, which will represent, well, uh, the 10th sprite, say, on the screen. Um, and then call the code that just puts up that sprite. And it just goes and does it. So it saves me having a lot of code in my main source code of the game. So it saves me space there because I've dumped that code to its own separate memory area. It's very fast, which is really the number one goal of the compiled sprites. But it's also now making it with the basic program, it's making it easier and more manageable to create the compiled code and um, it's just and it worked quite well. It takes a little while to analyze each of the graphics because it has to go through every sprite, work out what bytes are repeated within the sprite. So you might have areas where you know you might have a, a blue and a red dot in the sprite, and the program has to go through, scan that sprite, find out how many blue red dots. Um, because you've got two pixels per byte uh, in that sprite and then write code which says, okay, load A with that blue-red byte and then store it here, store it here, store it here for the number of times it's repeated. And then that's it. You don't have to reload the, the red-blue um, data byte. You do that once and you write directly to the screen where it's meant to go. So that's, that's simplistically, that's what a compile sprite does. It does go a bit further in that it has to work out where in the sprite you only have one pixel. So the other pixel needs to show whatever is in the background. So you have to do a bit of masking whereby you have to um, do an and and an or, an or in order to make the the, the new pixel from the sprite be superimposed over the uh, the background that it's going to overwrite so that anything outside of the sprite byte, the sprite pixels byte, needs to come through from the background, but the sprite needs to overwrite what the background is. So you, you still got that. Something you still had to do with the traditional sprites, but all I'm doing now is I'm speeding it up because I don't have to go and look at the sprite as I'm copying it over to determine that it has to be merged. I have already pre-determined that. So all I do is I go straight off. Okay, you are going to do a merge byte here. And it does the anding and oring and just dumps it. So it speeds it up. So that was the main thing I, I, I wanted to do in this chapter, whereby I wanted to make compile sprites. And um, I, I didn't include a video in this chapter because... Um, at the moment, the character is only walking left and right and going up and down lifts. Looks like he's My, holding hands with himself over there. 
Uh, <laughs> well, now, well, <laughs> it does look like that, but uh, he's <laughs> it's just got which one's that? The second uh, one second over one on the bottom. Yeah, right there. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that's because you got a left-hand facing sprite and a right-hand yeah. facing sprite, and they just happen to be look like they're sharing. I thought you were going to put a little heart over top of it <laughs> or something. So <laughs> yeah, no, they look like they're sharing something. So um, <laughs> I got I got a question regarding these compiled sprites. Uh, yep. Is your basic code generating the assembled code and poking that into memory? Yes. yes. Yeah. Not, okay. So, so it's not creating assembly code. It's creating machine code. Machine code. Okay. Directly, so yeah. then the question becomes, how are you integrating that uh, assembled code into your, or into okay, your well, assembly code, essentially? All, all I've done is, okay, if your program uses a certain block of memory, that's where the main code is, mm -hmm. I would assign, say, another block of memory, uh, which uh, I don't actually put any code in there. That's where the compiled code goes. It goes. Okay, so you're just reserving the, memory for. I'm reserving an area of memory, and that's where the compiled code goes. So my main program would call that pro, that area of uh, the, the code in that area of memory. I've taken it a step further in that I have a common entry to that block of memory, um, so that when, if I load the B register with the number of the sprite that I want. Mm -hmm. I then call that one location, say it's the very first byte of that block of memory. Um, and then that code there, the very start, says, oh, B. So therefore, you want the you know nth sprite to be drawn. And it will jump to that part of the code, which is specifically for that compiled sprite. And because it's all compiled, unrolled. Yeah, yeah, and it's all unrolled because a compiled sprite data can vary in length so you can't jump to a specific location if i was to recompile my compiled sprites and create a new set of compiled sprite data well the the locations of where those routines are have all changed so by having a common um, entry point to that code and then specifying which sprite i want you can then your code you, you have to, while you're creating the compile code, record where the start of every new code is. It then works out which part of the code to jump to and it displays it and returns back to your main program. So that's what I said before, whereby I don't have now any code in my main code dedicated to the compiled sprites now, which is great because now I've got more space for my code was before when I was doing it manual, I was embedding all the compiled sprite code within my source code, doing it manually, taking hours and days to do, and it was using up a lot of the space I needed for my main code. Because now I've just shunted it all to its own block of RAM and said, there, there you go. Boom. Go away, kid, you bug me. Right, right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's worked out. Uh, as a benefit in many ways for me, and, and, you said, it, and it's fast. And you, I was gonna say you said the basic program that um, that does the compiling takes like ten minutes or so per sprite. At the moment, with the number of sprites I've got up there, which is uh, how many have I got up there now? Twenty-four, I think I've got up there or more. Um, yeah, it takes about ten minutes. So, yeah, I, I can modify if I want to. If I edit the picture again, because you know maybe I I, I want to fine-tune some of the graphics 
I then recreate the graphics, save it, transfer it to the Coco. Then I have to run that basic program again, wait 10 minutes for it to compile, recompile all the data again. Um, and then it saves it out where the game then can load it in later. So, but cool. the thing is, 10 minutes is a lot less to wait for right. than trying to go in there and um, modify it all manually and yeah. Plus, if you run in an emulator, you can overclock the emulator, then it doesn't take that long. Well, time. yeah, that is the other thing. So if I'm if I'm in a hurry, I just do it all in BCC and just run it at the uh, 200 megahertz mode. So you can mm -hmm. see it very quickly um, re um, um, uh, pulling Compile. the sprites apart. Yeah, compiling. Now, do some uh, comments uh, in the chat here. I want to cover here quickly. Um, Torsten says, no, "Nick, not I have my, my fault. Five... <laughs> Torsten says, "Nick, I have my five-year-old son watching. He likes your sprites." Um, Paul Fiscarelli says, hey, Nick, have you checked in with that Polly Walnuts character about the sprite compiler he's been working on? Yeah, Paul Fiscarelli has one that he's shown um, us a few times. And then yeah. Torsten also mentioned that Richard Godekin uh, had a compiled sprite game, Engine 2, but it might have been Coco 1 2. Actually, I think that's the one that was used by that game that Jamie Cho just did recently. I think that has some compiled yeah, sprites. Yeah, probably, yeah. Yeah, no, I haven't uh, because, well, you know me, I like doing things the hard way. So yeah. I thought, well, this is what I need. I know there's tools out there to do things. You know what, easier. Mick? You have you have something in common with my wife. She likes making things difficult just to be difficult. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but she's got an incentive. She's got you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I yeah, I know that's that's my flaw. I have to do it the hard way. Yeah, right, uh, right. Because it's yours. It, that, that way, it's yours. It's, it's your it's your, it's, it's your struggle. It's your struggle. It's your project. It's my struggle. I yeah. did it my way. Frankie, you know? as Frankie so, says, right. So yeah, exactly. I also want to, uh, I also want to point on the screen here too. You can see that Nick's now, you know, degraded enough now that he's actually ripping off his own graphics from previous games. Yeah, yeah. I ripped off my own graphics. So a lot of the graphics came from Rupert Rhythm, that game that I that I detested so so long. Right. I'm not, I'm making amends. Right. <laughs> it it was I didn't like the game, but I did like the graphics. So I I stole the graphics and off myself. Right, and you're and you're kicking them up a notch. You're just kind of well yeah i've souped up the uh you can still see that the, they're basically the same as the old ones but mm -hmm. i just souped them up i added more frames to the player yeah. because i think i only had three um three uh, frames for a, a for, for a walk animation and it looked a bit like he had something stuffed stuffed up his backside when he was walking. <laughs> so i figured well let's add a few frames and just smooth that out yeah. a bit. <laughs> so it, lo it does look better and Next chapter, I'll have a video of it, and you can, you can be a, a judge for yourself. Yeah, that's neat. That's neat. But that's it for for this. Uh, this chapter. is what this is what I like about, uh, and you you I think you maybe some of your smaller games you didn't quite blog about them as much, but no, no. but it's one thing to announce, hey, I'm starting a new game, I'm starting you know Gunstar or whatever, and then you know a year later here it is. That's one way to do it. But what you do is you kind of give us, you, you keep us engaged and involved throughout the whole time with these little blog posts. And they're visual, they're easy to read, they're not too technical. And I know that does take time for you to do, but I've always appreciated these blogs because even I can understand them and I can appreciate the process and your thought process and your methodology and stuff. So I, I like that you do this, Nick. And thank you for There's doing it. a good it. chance for people to see what's yeah. involved in putting a game together without getting to all the technical stuff. I mean, I don't really cover any of the code and get really right. down to the nitty gritty because there are 
you know, if there's not one way to do something. And if, if I started putting up code examples, you get, you get people saying, oh, but yeah. I can do this or <laughs> you could do it that way and blah, blah. Next thing you know, yeah. you're not writing a game, you're doing an assembler tutorial, yeah. which is not my intent. I want to do the game. Yeah. So, but yeah, I, you cover I, the design I, aspects more so than that. I, I, and that's yeah. one thing that's really good about your stuff here. Cause you'll actually see as you're going through the blogs of a game, like if you go back to Popstar Gunstar, for example, and you'll see Nick changing his mind. He'll try a few things. Yeah. Go, that didn't really did work. Change. I'm going to switch to doing it this way now. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I could spend two or three chapters saying how good I am and look at this great well, idea. Yeah. And then suddenly I'll say, oh, no, that was garbage. Right. I, and, I, and I forgot what game it was, but one of your games, you actually started developing your music tracker thing where you were yeah, going to work yeah. on a four-voice music engine. That, and then you're that, like, yeah, uh, screw that. that yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it was Popstar Pilot or was it was something. It, uh, you were, uh, maybe it was Gunstar. Gunstar. Gunstar, you were going to have title music, right? So you were working yeah, on, a, you're working on yeah. building a tracker to make four-voice music and... In the end, I thought, no, I can't write music. <laughs> Scrap. <laughs> and, and, but that's and, and realistic, that's, too. I mean, that's how a developer works. You you go down a certain path and you find that that's not going to work. Or maybe you come up with a better idea for the gameplay itself or something. So the game itself totally changes from your original intention. And most well, people does, don't yeah. get this background. They just see, like, if somebody announces I'm working on this game and then a year later, here's the game. They don't see everything in between where... You know, I was going to do this and the game was going to play this way. And then I tried it and it didn't work or I tried playing it. It just sucked. And I'm going to change it. And you actually get to see that whole evolution of the game as it goes through on this blog. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you, you, you get the uh, the frustration. You get the, the errors. You get the mistakes. But you also then get to see how I've corrected it or changed it or whatever to to suit my, my um, goals. Is so that's the whole idea of the the blogs anyway to, yeah to no, convey to more convey the idea behind the message uh the, the game or the idea behind a certain routine not to say this is how you do it but this is the concept of how it's going to work and then if you want to do the same well you've got the concept that was that was half the the battle the other half well you nut that out yourself and and, and i generally like doing that as well as long as I understand the concept, then I prefer to do things myself. Like what we were saying just before, that I, even though there are easier ways or programs already out there to do compile sprites, no, nah, that's too easy. I need, <laughs> I need to do my own so I fully understand what the hell it is I'm doing. So, yeah, that's that's um, one thing I was going to point out. And you just you just did is that uh, doing it yourself. I mean, that isn't always the easiest way. And if you, if you're a commercial coder and you've got a deadline, you probably do want it use shared libraries, et cetera. But if you want to well, actually yeah. learn how stuff works, and this is part of what George's whole series is about, is to actually do active examples, not just read a yeah. textbook type thing. You learn better when you're actually trying this stuff yourself and you learn how it works as you're coding it type thing, That's as opposed right. to somebody hands you routine and go, trust me, everything works fine. And I get what you yeah. mean about posting code, because every time I post code, whether it's basic or assembly, there's like three people out there that are like, you could do it this way, you know, or it's oh, yeah. do it this yeah, way. It's, like, it's programming look, by committee. I'm changing a graphic mode. Backseat like, yeah, drivers, yeah. yeah. yeah like, that's right. Like, look, oh. they're, they're like, well, it's faster if you do it this way. I'm like, look, yeah, I'm changing exactly. graphic mode. That. You know, it takes, it's done in a, oh, two milliseconds anyways. So why do I need it to be faster? Yeah, that's <laughs> like, you know what that reminds yeah. me of? It reminds me of the uh, handmaidens of Daenerys Targaryen. They're like, it is known. It is known, right? Yeah, of course we could do it this way. It is known. <laughs> yeah. I want to emphasize, too, this This is the same thing that George is doing with his series. He, I mean, if I'm looking at it from an optimization 
point of view, I would change a ton of the code he was showing today, but that's not the purpose. We're not trying to tell you how to write the most optimized code. He's trying to teach you how these things work so that you understand them. And then you can go through after you learn your six and nine right. instruction set and go, yeah. oh, I can probably do this. But until you understand the concept of how it actually works under the hood, optimizing it isn't going to teach anything. It's just going to get you frustrated because you'll be trying to write things in a fancy way that you know you won't actually fully understand. And then when you try to go and do something a little bit different, but based on that, you'll be totally lost. Right. Like I was yeah. doing with the with 80 thing. It was more about how the gimme works rather than how to do. Yeah. To and do that, that was something that a few people misinterpreted and they were going, well, you should do it this way. Well, no, you're just trying to teach how the gimme works. Yeah. How do you set a mode? Not, not, you know. Right. Understanding how the mode works. Yeah. Especially when it comes to the low res stuff, because he's got the VDG and the SAM and you got to have it all figured out and stuff. And there's, it gets yeah. complicated. That's one of the reasons I think Nick has always done his blogs that it's it's much a more high level view. Like it's like yeah, you know, yeah. I'm designing the principles of how the game's gonna play and how it's gonna look. I'm not gonna teach you how to do a compiled sprite. End of the day, the only thing that mounts is uh, is important is that at the end of the day is adding another Ferrari to my repertoire. Right. So <laughs> actually ironically enough, there was a comment there that from uh, Paul earlier. Fiscarelli. Yeah, it's yeah. basically saying if he could speed up your process, you could get more Ferraris faster, right? So I yeah. probably could. And that's, <laughs> that's why uh, with the last few semi-graphic games I did, I didn't put a blog. They were so I can get them out quicker. And yeah. and, and they did. They only took me, what, two, two months or whatever per game yeah. to do because I yeah. avoided having blogs and all right, that other right, stuff because right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> I wanted to get them out quickly. You, you had but, a shoebox yeah. to fill, and the final product is yeah. The fill. final product is proof of that too. Is just th quickly thrown together crap, right? So <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. It's how it's presented. It doesn't matter if it's crap. It's how it's presented. Yes, it yes. was. Yeah. <laughs> Every game you've ever made is a quality product, and and your and your um your blogs are quality too because you you're a very visual person. You're you're all about the formatting and the presentation and you know everything. So even your blogs are done well you know so it just, it's a it's one of your traits you know you're all about making things look professional so pretty yes yeah that's why he always keeps his camera off too is to make stuff look more professional <laughs> that's right that's, that's one thing i can't improve right. <laughs> my face <laughs> anyway thank, thanks for the update i'm yes. looking forward to the, the video stuff. version of it yeah I want kind of showing the stuff looking operation. forward to some motion graphics on the screen yeah yep. absolutely. next week next chapter richard kelly Yes, yeah, so Richard Kelly here posted up a, um, you can download this on Facebook in the Cocoa Group too. Um, but basically, this is an updated version of the game called Power Sword. Now, this was originally from TND Software, which is like Chromaset, a cassette-based magazine from the Cocoa in the early days, the early 80s. This is from issue 34 from April of 1985. Now, that game itself is based on Sword of Fargo, which was for the Commodore 64 and the Commodore 16. So this one here, Richard took the original one and then he uh, he fixed some typographical errors. He optimized the code somewhat. He did a couple of bug fixes, improved the game save load, wow. and a bunch of other things. So he's kind of doing the optimization thing, which uh, you know I'm kind of famous for doing sometimes too. Um, so he's got it up there for a download if you want to take a look at it. This is his version one, you know, improvement. Now this he threw up a screenshot, but unfortunately it it needs vertical stretching. So the emulator, because he's using a, an odd mode, okay. isn't. Dunning, doing it proportionally so double every pixel vertically basically right now it's kind of squished okay but it's 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 kind of like a temple of asphy level style game so this is like you're wandering it's a dungeon crawl basically and you're wandering through getting treasures and beating up monsters etc and it's an assembly no it's in basic I believe. oh really okay 
Yeah. And right now that looks kind of like a QR code. So, yeah. Oh, so, <laughs> so, um, all right. So he optimized it, but he optimized the basic. I just, when I hear optimize, I think, and it's where he disassembled it and, and did stuff like that. But still, yeah, no, that's cool. Freely available for you if you want to grab. It he's done a ton of stuff. I know we've reached out to him, but I know. I mean, it would take us probably six months. To, he's he's like almost Jim Gary level on on things he's been doing on the cocoa, just his own projects and and putting together yeah. collections of things and all kinds of stuff. He's done a lot of cool stuff. And, and like Jim, he does a lot of these where he takes an existing program from either a different platform or one that's been released for years and years ago, and then updates it. For modern times yeah he, done, he was doing everything. he was came up with the idea of kind of like a magazine a software magazine concept where he'd create a collection of games on a periodic basis and uh, release some of those so he's done a lot of really cool things so yeah I definitely keep an eye out for that but yeah i mean he's, he did that other game that had 50 levels of screens he designed that was actually quite well done in basic too so yeah with the ladders and stuff ladder man or whatever it's called yeah, yeah. The next one here is from Daniel Shearer, and it's uh, from Brazil. So this is basically a game. I, from what I understand, I think it's a it's a graphical adventure game that he wrote okay. for the Codemex CD six hundred nine, which is one of the Coco clones from Brazil. And I think the translation is it says it's called the Rescue. So he's got a bunch of like graphic screens and those nice artifacting colors he's got in here too. Wow, it's a very short program. Well, it's just the preloader thing. Yeah. Oh, look at that. And that's your standard, you know, press, you know, to make sure you get the right artifact colors. Okay. What color are we expecting things to be in? Okay. Okay. I like this. This is neat. This, this, this looks like it was created with Cocomax. Right. right. So it's got some images and you're just loading them up on the screen. But that's cool. Yeah. Kind of the directions. The old, the old English, old, O-L-D-E, oldie English font. Uh, okay, nice. I like that. Oh, wow, yeah, this is very kind of Mark Data split screen looking here, huh? Yeah, and he's got a machine language routine that's doing the text, I believe. Um, so that the text typing in and, and displaying the text descriptions is actually quite fast. Yeah. And then the graphic images, he's just drawn himself, and then he just loads them in as you go between locations. Okay, he picked up whatever that item was down there under the tree. Yeah, I like the uh, the sand and the light blue and the yeah the, yeah nice nice artifacts yeah, nice graphics nice colors here. Yeah, and he's got some indoor scenes. It looks like a pretty good game. I mean, it's it's a four minute demo kind of showing off the. Yeah, no, no. I don't even know if the game's complete at this point or if it's just kind of a demo version of it. It no. seems to be fairly complete from watching him play. He's picking up objects and moving around. And yeah, stuff, so. and I like it. That was kind of cool. Very visual. I like it a lot. And next up, uh, this fellow we've actually shown before. Um, he's a French guy from Quebec, I believe, and we he did it under the Dagarath long play. And he, he's trying to. His goal is to do every RPG on every system going in in chronological order so he started way back like with you know zork and rogue and, and you know the original adventure etc and then he went to dagger so now he's into 82 with ring of darkness um which is the dragon game so maybe kieran can pitch on this now i have seen this one before but i didn't realize there was multiple segments to it now that i've seen the different parts on the long play here this reminds me a lot of the original ultima one on the apple II plus which was actually a basic program with a couple machine language routines just to do some fancy effects, but basically most of it was, was in basic. 
So there you see the original manual for it, and it's a pretty pretty long game. And you do your standard, you know, roll your character and blah, 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 which we'll kind of skip over here. And then you have the outside map. Now, this I have shown before. Oops. Oh, wow. So it's a hybrid. You got some text information. You got some. Yeah, and you got your experience points up. So here's your outside map. So this is kind of like what, what Ultima 1 would have had too, the world map okay. kind of thing that you kind of wander around. But then you can enter things like towns. And like uh, the original Ultima 1, now the Ultima 2 and higher made the towns wider and bigger than the screen, so you'd scroll through it. But the original yeah. Ultima 1, the original basic version, you just got a single screen that loaded in, and then you'd go you know, jumping between you know, the store and you know, maybe a potion place or something like that. Um, so just fast forward a bit here. So here's one of the inside towns, for example. So you got you know, like the kings that. up in there where you get your mission, you got your magic shop, your pub, your arm shop, your smithery. Six years saying this is mostly basic, yeah. The sequel, I think, was in Machine Code, Return of the Ring, by the same company. Um, but it's saying it's kind of cool, and it's at least mostly basic. Yeah, and to be honest, I mean, this is the way Ultima started. This 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 screen here reminds me a lot of the original Ultima 1. Now, if you've got the redone Ultima 1s that they've released since, okay, it's it's totally different than this. This is one part that did not make the, the, the cut over the new version. But this is almost exactly like the original Ultima 1. And then, of course, when you get to the actual dungeons, that's done in the 3D wireframe type thing. Oh, wow. Like a so there's so many, so many different modes to this game. Yeah, like and it, like, like I said, after seeing all this, because the first time I've seen videos of this, I only saw that outside world screen. I didn't see anything. Right, forward. So this really reminds me of Ultima 1. Right. This is exactly what and, Ultima 1 and did. And at, at the speed it's being drawn, that... Definitely basic, yeah. yeah. Even, even the text you can see is drawn with basic draw statements because of the, the speed it's doing it. It actually seems a little faster, though. Oh. Attack left, attack left, attack left. <laughs> <laughs> You're remembering Dagrath, yeah. <laughs> it's getting closer. And it's got different monsters, like there's bats, there's thieves. Now, I did notice, like, he's using a lot of the same stuff that the original Ultimate One did, but he's drawing some of the graphics differently. He did some originality there, from what I can tell. The thieves, for example, are, are drawn quite differently than I remember Ultima One, the original version, drawing them. But uh, you also notice that uh, one thing that changed between this and the Cabot, it used to be they draw the monster and they keep drawing the background behind it, so you see the lines uh -huh. the through it, quarters behind it. Now, as soon as the distance to a monster appears, it cuts off anything behind it, so the monster's blocking your view technically. I like it. Yeah, it's quite well done. Um, ambitious to so be covering so many different user interfaces and graphics modes and screen yeah. I also like the fact that the ladders are uh, you can only see you can see them edge on from one direction you ah, see the ladder spread yeah, out look there, at which that. is actually pretty cool man yeah. there's just a spit ton of things in this game wow so I really want to check out the one that Sixy's talking about because he mentioned there's a sequel done in ML I'd like to see that but he also said their best one was actually later called Juxtaposition so there's a third one the company did I'd like mm. to see that one nice at any rate that's the end of the game on news. Do you want me to segue straight into? Just the... keep it going, man. Keep it going. I'm starting to fade, man. I haven't had any food, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pass out here soon. Sony. Awesome though. I sure? I really like that. Pears Surat. 
Now this one I got to do first, Mir, because I forgot to do this last week, even after you told me to put it in. Ah, <laughs> yes. <Okay>. Apologies. <laughs> so since you're the one who sent me this story last week, did you want to kind of just do a quick summary? Well, yeah, so VCF Midwest is coming up. It's coming up in September 11th and 12th. So it'll be two months before Cocoa Fest in the same general area, right? So you're kind of Chicago general area. It's a good event. I went to my first one in 2019. I did enjoy it. I did get the email saying if you want to book a room, then book a room. And they have um, they have a room rate. And you can mention the event and get a certain price use that code and um, if you're gonna go I highly recommend you you get a get a room in the hotel if you can they also mentioned that they're extending the event well now we can set up on a Friday so if you had and and unlike Cocoa Fest you don't have to pay for a table or anything else you can just ask for a table and it's kind of first come first serve it's it's free to um, have a table but um, you can now set up like Friday during the day technically the event is Saturday and Sunday but Friday and Friday night, you can set up ahead of time. Um, they, they've made the, the room um, rate available if you want to get there early and stay late. So you can come as early as Thursday and stay all the way through like Monday or something at the same price. So if you want to make it a weekend, you can. Um, it's a good event. There's a lot of different systems there. So unlike a Cocoa Fest where you're going to mostly see cocoa and some Tandy derivatives, you're going to see a lot of different things. Um, last year they showed off the computer, the actual computer that had done the, um, the visual effects for the Star Wars movie when they showed like, you know, going down the trenches and the hologram of the Death Star up on the screen, all that kind of stuff that, that computer, they had that computer there. So you can see some really cool old tech there. Um, all kinds of stuff. There's different rooms with different, there's like a Commodore room. There's a room that's got all kinds of old phone systems and stuff like that. So it's a really cool event that covers a lot of different things. There's swap meets where you can buy stuff. Um, so if you haven't been, it's probably worth checking out. If you're already in the Midwest, uh, you know, it's in, in your, an easy way to get there. Go ahead and get there. Good event. Check it out. Um, that's all I have to say hey, about you that. You sent me this as an actual image. Um, what's what's the website people should go to? Is it just vcf.org or something? Uh, I didn't send it to you as an image. I don't know. I forwarded you the email that I got. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, yeah, look for look VCF yeah. Midwest. Basically, they, if you search up if you search VCF Midwest, yeah, Google, you'll, yeah, you'll they have a, they have a Facebook page. There, uh, Jason Timmons is on our Discord group too, who runs the event. Um, yeah, I don't know what the website is. Maybe Jim Brain does if he's still out there. Um, but yeah, good Maybe event. Not it up yet. VCFMW.org. VCFMW.org. Okay, you know, cool. Somewhat. It's major. If somebody wants to post that into the uh, the chat there, so it's on the video. People. Yeah, it looks like on. a like a nineties website. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next up, um, one of our newest members on the Coco Discord, Jenny, has a blog devoted to the retro computers. You can kind of see mentions of the different types here on the right hand upper right corner with under contents. And they've just acquired uh, Coco 3 recently. So there's now a Tandy Coco section of the site, which concludes a capacitor list for recapping the motherboard if needed with a complete list of what the values are and um, you know, pictures of the motherboard from both sides here. Um, I'm assuming that they do that for all the different machines here, but that's kind of kind of cool, you know, just for somebody who just joined in and they're already, you know, picking apart the parts needed to replace if you need to fix anything. I like that buy me a coffee link. That's cool. <laughs> buy me a coffee. <laughs> I got to add one of those to mine. As uh, Jason would say, make me a sandwich. Uh, okay, cool. Maybe I should make, make, buy me vodka or something. All right. so. Next one's a little bit of sad news here. Um, Jim Rangers posted this earlier this week here. Like, 
Terry Steggy has been our uh, vice president of Glenside, but unfortunately he's had to resign for health reasons. So John Mark Mobley is going to fill in for him up, up until the end of the term. So of course we all wish Terry the best of, of luck and fully recovering from whatever's going on. And thank John for stepping up here. Yep. 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 I would also That's... just throw out there since we're on this subject, cause we did have a kind of like a board of directors meetings to talk about this and, um, get somebody else in the position. One of the things that this is not necessarily a specific role of the vice president, but it's a role that Terry was championing uh, and with the help of Tony Pedraza. But Terry was um, trying to line up the speakers for this this year's Cocoa Fest. And so since he's having to step down from not only the vice president duty, he would also be stepping down from that task he was championing. So I would just say if if there is a person who you would like to hear speak or if you would like to speak or present uh, at Cocoa Fest, because we would love to have speakers and presenters, um, reach out to us. You can send a, you can send it to um, newsletter at glensideccc.com. You can send it to officers at glensideccc.com. You can send an email or you can just send it to us here at Cocoa Talk and we'll pass along. Send an email to Cocoa Talk at cocotalk.live. But we want to make sure that we don't lose the momentum on trying to have some um, this any speaker, but hopefully some some good speakers too. Um, it's always nice to have that kind of headline keynote speaker to kick off the event. And you know, hopefully somebody we haven't heard from before that's got some interesting cocoa stuff, you know, whether it be a person who made hardware back in the day or has just got some good stories or whatever. Um, so we would love to hear some all kinds of speakers and presenters. And so reach out to either Glenside or us here on Cocoa Talk if you would like to speak or present or if you have some suggestions on somebody that we should reach out to or contact information of people to reach out to for that. Now, I'd submitted way, way back for doing a, a, a talk. At, at the, am I still on that list? Like, did Terry? I don't have the list, but that would be really boring. Oh, okay. But uh... yeah, well, it, it's meant to stream for Nick so we can have a good nap. That's what it's for. So. Yeah. Um, no, that would be great. Yeah. Some Nitrous 9 update or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And get well, Terry. We're all praying for you. Yeah. Speaking of hardware guys who are interesting that we'd like to have speak, Chris Burke would be on that list. If... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically here, um, if you remember, we mentioned a couple weeks ago that somebody had found a whole bunch of the old 12 volt disc controllers, about 60 or 70 of them, and was selling them off, which, like, like I said, I nor normally call for sale things because they're, you know. Right. These are ones that were like on the, the half shell. They had like the half cartridge. Yeah, arm. just yeah. the bottom part of the cartridge yeah, case. Controller so on Chris a half Burke shell. Chris Burke picked one up from Raymond Jet here because Raymond had a ton of them. And uh, quickly modified it to work on a Coco 3 so it would run with just 5 volts instead of the 12. And he explains exactly what he did and what traces were cut and blah, blah, blah. So anybody who's got one of these old controls or picked one up from Raymond Jet but wants it to run on the newer Coco 2s or the Coco 3 that only has 5 volts and doesn't handle the 12 volts, um, basically there's how to do it. And if you have any questions, Chris can definitely answer them. So for those of you that have that old controller, this is also, I believe, the older controller that can actually handle the high-density mods. You can actually modify this controller to run... 1.2 or 1.44 meg floppies too. So David what, would, Lad would be really what excited. What can't it do? <laughs> <laughs> Tell time. All right. There's room. There's room on there underneath one of those under those little chips there. We could put an RTC. Actually, with with the top of the case removed, you could put the smartwatch under the disc ROM, and you could have a real time yeah. clock in this one. Because the one problem with the smartwatch is it it blew up the height too much, and you couldn't close the case mm, together. So. There you go. This one's topless. It's got its built-in cooling yeah. system. All right. That just sounded dirty. It's talking. Yeah, it's convertible. Uh, okay, cool. 
Next up, uh, Ken of Canadian Retro Things uh, did a, a video here revisiting his Coco STC. Um, so basically, he bought the Coco STC a little under a year ago, and, and this is kind of his follow-up, like what he's discovered. And it's not just a review review of, of reviewing what he's you know, done with it, but also some of the tips and tricks he's learned for doing things like multi-disc images and how you have to name the files to get that to work properly and, and various other things here. So uh, it, it was kind of cute, though, because he has some guest appearances from his cat, Tig. You know, just wanted some attention during this. You know, screw this cocoa stuff. And then he also does some um, talking with his. Uh, I, I didn't know he had a twin brother, but uh, he apparently's got a twin brother here that uh, actually gets involved in the show a little bit. We'll take a look at a couple of the things that I discovered like about. What you're gonna say, you should at least say something about what you've learned. <sighs> Fine. Fine. We'll take a look. So that was his two and twin brother off camera. Sounds remarkably like him, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah. okay. But yeah, it goes through a bunch of things. You uh, had to install the STC Explorer, how to uh, do the multi-disc uh, file images and stuff like that. So it's a nice little mini tutorial, actually. People that are new to the Coco STC, you know, compressed into a nice ten-minute video, basically, of how to do some of these more advanced features. Okay. Thank you, Ken. Oh, he says that's his other personality. Okay. Some of us don't even have one personality. This is guy. This guy's got multiple. So, that's <laughs> where my extra personality or my actual personality went. Yeah, right. John this Lowry. Is John Lowry. John Lowry. Yeah. So basically, this is a demonstration of the uh, the thirty two call. Okay, hey, let's let's, put, let's put up your code so we can critique it, John. <laughs> yeah. I actually the code is actually there yeah it's I, uh, one screen yeah, well it was too big it was too much to fit on one 32 column screen so I loaded it on the Coco 3 went into 80 column mode and listed it out it's, it's in there okay. what yeah. I did and uh, also if you scroll down the page a little bit um, someone I forget his name Mark Mike Miller I think it was he's like because I used the character string 128, which is black. Yeah. So that underline is black. And he's like, can you do it? Um, with the inverse Oh, yeah, changing space? the color of the... Underline. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, you know what? I can just do it with inverse. So I yeah. changed it. Like you can see there in that picture, I'm kind of explaining what I'm doing, how you yeah. have to write the ASCII value. See it on the right? 66 is the letter B. Yeah. And then yeah. when I get to the 11th line, I put a 128 and it puts... You know, right. the 128 is a solid black line. Yeah. So it just you could have used the, the inverse in. space, which would have been 32, or yeah, or any, any other color. actually anything from zero to 64 will work. Yeah. Because okay. <laughs> there's no actual because they're, they're all they're there. all inversed and it's all buffered out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, that is all buffer area exactly. And you could have went, gone down to line 12 and skipped the pixel too if you wanted it, but then that would have been cropping. Yeah. Or if the you wanted a thicker underline, you could put both. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I actually had it on 12 at first, and it seemed like it was too far away, so I moved it up a line. Right. And you could, yeah. and if you wanted to have different colored underlines, you could use any of the other solid colors, yep. too. And so, also, yeah. I, I wrote a program that generated random numbers and poked in random numbers for all 12 lines. Uh -huh. But it was random numbers between 65 and was it over 91. The, just the letters, yeah. Just the letters. Yeah. And if you scroll down a little further, some of the I wrote random characters... Some of the random characters I generated. Well, there's a couple of pictures down below. Um, yeah, look at there's that. There's two of them. Yeah. The and if you faces. look at the the make the picture above the smiley faces uh, big, 
and you can see I did Wanderline, I did Strike Through. The third one is essentially a, a, a mashup of the letter A and the letter Q. So the first six lines are the letter A and the last six lines are the letter Q. The one below that, I that's, was trying to go for that's like referred a, to as the AC. The what? The AC. AQ. AC. Yeah. AC. Oh, yeah, I see. Okay. <laughs> I, and the one below that I was kind of going for, it's, it actually spells out the word Venetian. So what I did was I did inverse, non-inverse, inverse, non-inverse, but the the inverse and non-inverse of the same letter. So okay. I was trying to get like a Venetian blind kind of. Ah. It didn't work out though. Okay. But, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And then the one below that is um, the letter Y and, and a, a mashup between the letter Y and the equals sign. I was shooting for a yen uh, symbol, which is basically the letter Y with like an equal sign. Okay. Overlaid over the top of it. Right, right, right. And it, it kind of, kind of worked, kind of didn't work. The Venetian one was a total fail. <laughs> right. But, uh, I like the strike through. That's pretty neat. Yeah. And that's and then and I wrote a all using inverse too, so the the, the darkness matches, right? The, yeah. 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 And then I wrote the program that did just random number for all twelve locations, and um, that's where both of those smiley faces came from. Was just they just randomly came up that way. Right. So you'd have to look and see what individual number generated it to get that. But uh, that's but, neat. Uh, that's neat. That's what that protectors game did. It had like the little people down there waving their hands. Yeah. It was like a defenders game, and they were animated where they looked like, they're, "Hey, help me, help me." And yeah, you may remember pretty. from last year, Nick Parenti's actually was fiddling with this, and he was actually using a combination of mixing the characters like this, and then page flipping between two of them to get different shades, and also to make even more characters available. So you can get different shades and stuff here. And uh, Nick, do you still have blog posts or something about that? Because I remember we did some way back when. Because you're working with Erico on using this for an adventure game, if I remember. Well, of course, Nick's asleep again, so we're not talking about this game anymore. So, <laughs> But yeah, just some tinkering. I've been doing an, an SG-24. That's neat. That's now, neat. To kind of show, you also did a video here, a quick 30-second clip kind of showing you drawing the, the screen with pokes and stuff here. Now, is this in yeah, basic? Yeah, all done in basic. In basic, okay. Yeah. I'm going to want to pick your brain how to set up that mode. Oh, it's easy. Yeah, easy, and, easy. and I'm going to want to do it in assembly too, but yeah. UL for underline. So this, this is just a big four next loop to poke it all out. To... Yeah, I was basically, uh, you can see when you're clearing the screen, it's, now, it's was going that, line was, by Was line. that checkerboard pattern art what was already in memory? Yeah. You didn't fill that. So. Exactly. With underline. Boom. And here, in this case, is the black underline, not the dark green. Yep. Right. So. And I just actually took the same program and edited it and changed the 128 to the number to, I think, to, two or something like that. And it, uh, it's the same exact color as the light green or the dark green. Yep. That's neat. Text characters messing around yep. with the VDG. And if, yeah, actually, if you switch, if you select the other color set, the orange one, you actually get an extra shade because it's there's unique oranges and unique reds in that mode, so you can actually get more than nine colors. Mm -hmm. and someone else pointed out too that you could do um the you know like the graphics box where you have uh uh like the left is one color and the and the, uh, the the other is another color so you could do like a like an sg no using sg12 but yeah. just the 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 graphics block characters oh oh like... so so a hyphened line a dash line versus a solid line is what you're saying exactly yeah, yeah. Yep, so that's really cool. Sixty mentions too the T one VDG. You don't get the bright orange though, which is sad. And that's correct. It, it creates the same orange, mm. so you lose the one extra color. Because on the uh, the regular VDG, you can actually get the, the regular orange. You can get the uh, 
orange for the alternate color set, and then you also get that. Oh, you know what would red. be great? So here's what you need to do. You need to now basically build spell check into the Coco ROM so everything we type something wrong, it's underlined in red just like it is in like MS Word and stuff. Can you do that? Uh, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, He's in the... Stevie's case, you might as well just pre-underline the whole fucking screen and be done with it. <laughs> um, John, you've been saying SD12. Do you mean SD24? Or... Yeah. yeah. Actually, hey, you yeah. woke up, Nick. Hey. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry if I... Uh... If I said, "Oh no, I'm saying 12 because there's SG24, 12 lines. There's 12 so. lines, and it's yeah. split down the middle, so that it makes 24 individual graphics to the cell. Yeah, pieces yeah. to yeah. the cell. All right, oh, back to sleep. <laughs> now, I will mention. I mentioned this in the comments too. Uh, 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 Karen says if we spelled out the word "color" C O L O R, that would be underlined because that's misspelled. So, <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> Nick Moroda and I can attest to that, and, and Nick Marini's. Now, one thing I will mention, I mentioned this in the comments, too. There, there's an old fourth uh, language editor program compiler, et cetera, for the Coco from 8283. I think it was by Hoyt Stearns Electronics. And their editor for editing your code was actually an SG-12. And they actually used, like, basically, that does two lines per byte. One above story. and one below. Yeah. I, had, I had actually thought about that. I was like, yeah, you could do, like, you know, like a, for selecting, like, a non-destructible cursor, essentially. Yeah. And they uh, use the underlying character to show where your cursor was. So you'd actually would see as you're editing your code, this, this double high, you know, I think they use blue in, in the whole Stern's case. But that idea has actually been used in actual editors to to do mm -hmm. an underlying cursor. Interesting. So, yeah. Just tinkering. Yeah, it's neat. I'm going to be picking your brain pretty soon too, John, because you're like six steps ahead of me before I've even started. But I like where you're going with it. Uh, Michael Pitsley, what's he been up to here? Well, Michael, of course, has been doing all these educational programs, and I know Ron Devo really liked it when we covered the uh, the space one that actually covered the discovery of Pluto and actually had you know Clyde Tombaugh, the discoverer of Pluto's voice on it. So this one here is another one he's done, and he's done the whole series. So this is an educational program for basic Spanish, and it was published by Dorset Educational Systems, Inc. in 1986 for the Coco. Now, this is one of those multimedia cassettes, so it has, like, voice backgrounds. It turns audio on and then motor on the cassette. So I could it. save you a lot of time. You put the you put L in front of everything, and you add an O to the end. You've made it Spanish, right? So, yeah. so L, I'm half Spanish is what yeah. you're saying, because I've got an L in front of And instead of, mine, of so. Coco Do, it's Coco Dos. Yeah, so open El Doro, <laughs> close El Doro, right? <laughs> so, yeah, okay. So, anyway, this, this series here is actually 16 different modules to it from introduction greetings and they've got little graphics and they've got like the voice background stuff. So I don't know if you got one, pick one of the modules yeah. that's on the screen here uh, and I'll just play a little go, bit. Of going it. places. Donde esta uh, los baños? This one right here. Okay. Where are the bathrooms? Donde esta los baños? Mas cerveza fría, por favor. Gracias. Going places. 1986. El Luco. Program eight. Going places. Let's make plans. Where do you want to go? A donde deseas ir. Remember, donde estás? Where are you? Where is just. Donde. Donde. In asking about where someone or something is. But. A donde. Or written as two words. A donde. Literally, to where, when talking De about panos. destination, to where someone or something is going. 
¿Dónde está la cerveza? Bueno. Oh, she said good. ¿Dónde deseas ir? Where do you want to go? Deseo ir al cine. Oh, you want to go to the movies? I want to go to the movies. There we go. How do you ask several people where they want to go? Where Ello would anyway, you all each, like to go? These are each 20 to 25 minute long things. And if you actually have the programs with the actual auto cassettes, it actually is interactive with you know, quizzes. That is really too. cool. Honestly, it's multimedia. You, 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 yep. cause, and, and when it comes to languages, you really have to hear it. Yeah, so, spelling um, it is, I mean, you can read it then. You can learn yeah, to read. But and you and to for understand. whatever reason, I don't think the speech sound pack would do this any justice, <laughs> right? <laughs> Right, it's it so, completely yeah. wouldn't. Yeah. No, yeah. So you need you need Those. the nuances. <laughs> yeah. Um, now that's really impressive. That that much stuff. The multi, you know, it's multimedia before we had, you know, the ability. Well, that multimedia. term was even coined. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And I remember back in the day, people say it's talking about, you know, how the color computer was like the only computer out there that had that ability to pipe the audio through from the cassette through the TV, which made that possible. Yeah. yeah, and I always thought it was something that was underdone, but actually, you know, watching some of these videos that Michael's been putting up here, I mean, a lot of the Disney stuff, the Dorset stuff, all had this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So apparently it wasn't actually underutilized. I just never ran educational stuff. Right, yeah. Disney and uh, mm-hmm. CCW. Um, Children's Computer PBS. Workshop, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and not to mention uh, Bruce Moore in Force of Doom, he did give you a file you could have put on a cassette to listen yep. to the soundtrack with the audio on. So, <laughs> so th- this is something that we could have been, well, actually, we were doing apparently, but for some reason, most people limited this background music, sound, speech, whatever, to educational software. But this could have well, been used in commercial games, I guess. Th- does anybody remember in the original color basic manual, you could make a big giant robot face and you could make his eyes blink and his mouth blink and stuff? Yeah, and, you would and then you could, just, the you could just yeah. record a tape and play that while your robot face was blinking its eyes and mouth. I did that. Anybody else do that? Just me? I'm the I'm the only one. I, I, right. I did the, uh, <laughs> if you remember in Rainbow Magazine, the, I can't remember the guy who did the actual programs, but he did all those rock al- al- album um like Van Halen stuff, he'd do like the symbol logo. Oh, or whatever. The, yeah, the logos and stuff. Okay. And I would change them so I would put the Van Halen logo, and I'd have it, you know, jumping up and down by shifting the P mode stuff. Okay. And then okay. we'd play like jump in the background. Okay. Cool. So I did a little bit of that. Now that is but, really yeah, it was, cool. It, it, it's really cool, and it was a really interesting way to use something as as John said that, that was pretty unique to the Coco at the time here. And uh, yeah, and un- the- underutilized for games, it was used a lot in educational. We found a lot of stuff like Dorset, if I remember didn't actually sell a lot of their stuff through Tandy. They sold that third party. They used to have full ads, full page ads in Rainbow. And they had a whole slew of educational stuff that I'm assuming is all done the same way. Yeah, they had to spend some money to produce these things too. Not only the graphics and getting the fonts up there and the you know the programming and the imagery and then the recording, all that kind of stuff. So these had to be a pretty elaborate uh, you know, production to get these things yeah, going. Probably hired like professional voice uh, voiceover people to do the audio and stuff. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I like how several people in the chat here were answering all the questions as they were going through here, too. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, there's literally, these are between 20 to 30 minutes long each, and he's got all 16 chapters demonstrated. So if you want several hours of learning Spanish, there you go. So, yeah, in addition to this week's Game On Challenge, where we'll be playing Temple of Rom, we're also doing the Learn Spanish Challenge. So if you could read all, <laughs> all uh, 15, 16 chapters and start speaking fluent Spanish by next week, we'll put you on the high scores for that, too. 
I think Eric, <laughs> you might as well just slam Erico's name in there right now. <laughs> that is really cool. Thank you, Michael. Okay, uh -oh. next up, we've got a couple of videos that Pedro put on. Of course, Pedro, we recently uh, got him on our Discord. He's been on our show, and he's, of course, designed the Cocoa 2 replacement motherboard. So one of the things you've been tackling lately is how to replace certain chips that you can't find anymore made brand new for the Cocoa. So in this case, he's you know, working on ways to replace the SC77526. Now, is that the salt chip for you hardware guys out there? I can't remember the part numbers of any of this stuff. Yes, I think. Okay, because yeah, he's got two videos he put up related to this. So the first one is you doing it using a hex buffer and an R2R ladder. So I pulled the SC77526P chip out of my Coco 2. That'd be the DA converter. Uh, because I want to see if I can make... Um, well, this actually does the joysticks and everything else too, doesn't it? As you can see, it's... And cassette. Does, yeah. R is 232, yeah. And so after asking around on the uh, Coco Discord server... Hey, shout Aaron out to Coco Discord. Advice. I think he said the uh, MC10 doesn't even have one of these chips. Just directly, you know, goes to a bunch of resistors. Uh, or rather to a non-inverting buffer and then to some resistors. So that's what I did. I took a non-inverting buffer, wired it straight into um, a socket there. I also got an OR chip where I wired the select A and select B. And maybe I can show you that here. Got it somewhere. Or maybe not. That's what I did there because zero zero selects uh the DAC, right? Which is what you need to produce sound in this case. And then anyway, it's, it's, it's a two minute video, but I'll just fast forward a bit here so he's actually testing. It doesn't sound great, obviously because this is all, you know, just real quick cheap stuff. But it does make sound. So what what I think I... so anyway, that was one one way he did it, and then a couple of days later he did a second video where he was actually using an Arduino Uno instead. So that's Spanish right there. That means one for those of you who don't speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've removed the SC seven seven five two six chip, and I've wired in uh, my Arduino Uno clone, and so I'm trying to recreate some of the chip using the clone, uh, and I've had some good success. Um, um, using the analog read uh, to read, you know, the two axes on this controller. Um, it's not great, you know, it's kind of jittery, but I think I can probably do that a little better by, um, you know, like uh, when I'm reproducing the sound using the PWM, I can do like fast PWM. Right now I'm just using the stock stuff. Um, and using that PWM I'm producing sound straight up square wave to the speaker. I'm not even smoothing it out, um, but and it sounds okay and not great, but I bet you it'll sound even better uh, if I put it through an RC um, circuit to smooth it out. And I want to play uh, Slay the Narice, which on this TV, um, the artifacting does not work. I've had issues with this TV for many other systems, so I'm not worried about that. Um, here's the code that I've been loading on there. So that's part of it, so he's actually demonstrating error. it. That's hard to do. Oops. So there you're showing the joystick reading going through the yeah. Arduino. Yeah. Let me 
this here. We're going to need to load this real fast. So he's basically rec recreating some of the functionality of the salt chip, not using his salt chip replacement, but just by using some simple hacks that he's learned about, like from the MC10 and whatnot. Yeah. Let's see. His ultimate goal is to make something fairly cheap and fairly easy with modern parts to replace. There we go. And there's, mm. you know, simulating the sound too. And the joystick. Nice. So it's, it's really cool because he's kind of you know, joined the community full force after we found his video of making a Cocoa 2 motherboard, which you've seen in the video, the blue motherboard the he's got there. Cocoa blue. And he's just continuing on and coming up with all kinds of stuff. So that's, that's really cool to see. You're my boy, yeah. Blue. Okay, next up we switch over to the MC10. Robert Sieg. Yeah, who's been a very busy little MC10 as usual. So what he's done here is there's a couple of different MC10 emulators that actually emulate the Alice now. And as we discovered a, a little while ago, there's a standard Alice, which is just basically a red MC10. But then they came out with some later Alice's that actually have additional video chips and additional VDG so they can do extra modes. Real quick, just to go with my free Spanish lesson in Spanish, you put L in front of things. In French, you put LE in front of yeah, them. So I'm, I'm more be, familiar with that being yeah, in Canada. This would so. be LE Alice. <laughs> so, uh, well, I learned that from watching Pepe Le Pew. Lay Alice, I hardly know her. But okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can tell I'm getting food drunk here. Um, okay. So he's basically done this little basic program that he's compared with two different uh, emulators that actually emulate the Alice level hardware, like the later Alice's, like the Alice 90, etc. And he said, so far for his testing, the James host emulator seems to be the most accurate in, in doing the improved text modes and colors. He kind of does a side by side here, and you'll see some wow. kind of missing that on is, the one. That is really cool, though. You get uh, background color attributes. Yeah. Which, yeah. Which the VDG never had. And you'll notice the font's a little bit different, even on the 32 column yeah. screen there than the standard VDG. So. Yeah, this is that uh, EF9345 or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I guess. Somewhere I read somewhere that that was compatible, backwards compatible to the VG, but then someone said, "No, that's not right." It was yeah, it, it sounds like it's two different chips, just both installed the same machine. Yeah, Who the Thompson. company was was it? Yeah, and that would have been a nice chip to have in a Coco Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so obviously, it, I mean, we couldn't do this kind of color mixing nah, with characters nah. at all. So, nah, John, so it's John Lowry will just, figure it out real quick. Just so. not pin compatible. No, yeah, so well, even the T1 just... VDG, which we did get, is not pin compatible. Yeah, so. yeah, so you can't just pop it out, put it in. Unfortunately, yeah. I wonder I if you could make some sort of green borders and you know, all kinds of stuff. But I wonder if you could make some sort of. Uh... Hang on a second. Anyway, I'll go on to the next story. You can... Or is it getting coming? Getting something to show here? I don't know. I think he's getting something. Yeah, that would that would have been good. Yeah, that would have been good in a Coco two. It would be a Coco one with extras. Yeah, yeah, because this even of... went up to eighty columns and stuff, didn't it? No. Uh I don't know if it was this one. There was a another one which. There's so many combined. different models of the Alice. There's the Alice ninety and the Machete. I, I don't yeah. remember which one was I which. Think the one which you're thinking of did have two separate chips. I can't remember, but I do know that one of them, and it could be this one, whereby it was a six eight four seven with some extras. Maybe that was, that was a 6848 then. 
Oh, no, I don't know. What it, well, it wasn't made, made by Motorola, so okay. it's someone else. Kind of like a, a 6309, right? Not not made by them, but... Uh... Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but it would have been good. Okay. And uh, why didn't Tandy All right, do... we'll just move on to a new tab while we're waiting for him. Keep yeah, that we'll tab wait. open. Don't close oh, it. Just so... move... well, never no, mind. Well, right. If he's going to be showing something, we can just show it. So. All right. Okay, now we're on to Dragon News. So the first one here, Richard Harding has posted a video showing phase one of his Dragon 64 USB keyboard in action, which will have many more features than just using a USB keyboard. So when I first saw it, I thought it was just, here's an adapter running the USB keyboard and Dragon, but that's, he's actually taking it further than that. So he sure is running currently with XROAR, but the future plan is that this will work as an actual real modded Dragon 64 keyboard. And this is a little LCD panel on the front here. So I'll just play the video. Um, not sure. The volume's all the way volume up, here, but let's see. Dragon Futures, okay. Power reset snapshot. Joystick Futures. Correspond to what these keys will do in the future. The next phase of the project. Oh. Oh, these are key. Okay, these are like programmable keys off to the side of the keyboard. The dragon yep. form a snapshot control joystick config because it is a joystick port on the back. Oh, kind of like the switcheroo. The and the cart boot option for the Dragon MMC. I'm getting some background noise from somebody. I'm going to mute John Laurie because I'm not sure if that's coming from him or not. Sounds good. It's got a nice clicky sound to it, huh? Yeah, he's even kept, you know, those red keys is kind of keeping with the color scheme of the dragon, too, so. Okay. So this is a USB keyboard that is not meant to plug into a real dragon, then? Is it will it? eventually. That is the oh. goal. Oh, right now, is. this is just, you know, he's, he's kind of getting the, the firmware on the keyboard itself to work properly. Okay. Using the emulators like XROAR. But he's planning on making this so you can actually plug this into a dragon later with all these control keys and stuff to, to customize stuff. So what these keys will do in the future for the next phase. I the love future. the love the keys and I love the sound of those keys. Yeah, we had to put you on mute, John, because we were hearing some background chatter somewhere. You're still muted. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. My uh, my real estate agent actually showed up. He was showing a house across the street, and he just dropped by to say hi. Ah. Okay. Tell him we all said hi. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, that's I like, pretty cool. I like the screen, man. Having that nice little screen there, letting you know what's going on. That is fancy schmancy. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of some of like the GoTex screens that you see. You know, if you can kind of see yeah. what's happening. Next dragon story. So Paris Ratty was asking about using the Mega Mini MPI because he was having some issues uh, getting it working on the uh, with the Coco STC in dragon mode on a dragon. So if you follow through all these comments here, they actually did kind of straighten out what was going on with some help from Ed Snyder. And he, Ed also explained that he hasn't been too active answering questions stuff lately because he's you know, been in the middle of a move and some other things, um, you know, family related that he had to deal with too. So he's hoping to kind of get back caught up with things. Um, but basically what it ends up being is that Pear did figure out with Ed what was causing the problem, what was causing it to crash. So he's going to be releasing a new version of Dragon DOS Plus probably next week, version 0.25.13 that will then work with the Coco STC in Dragon mode and will solve all these problems. So that if you have a Mega Mini MPI and a Dragon, 
and you're running the, the, the Dragon DOS Plus, you, if you get this new version of the DOS, everything will work fine together. Okay. And we will all live happily ever after. Pretty much. Okay. Okay, next up. This is a Dragon 64 keyboard key replacement. Welcome. Done by the Dragon Data Archive. Key switches on a Dragon 64 keyboard. So I'll just let it play for a little bit. I won't this play the whole thing. This key has dodgy Z and D keys. We so cannot have a dodgy Z key letters. on our keyboard. Yeah. Z key dodgy must be Z keys. full dodgy working. Dodgy Z keys are okay. <laughs> I, otherwise, how would how would you ever spell Z Z talk? That's right. Want to refer to the band. So. Yeah. For this job, you need a key cap puller, solder pump, long nose pliers with a thin tip, and replacement switches. Okay, he's saying that this is Richard Harding. The switches you'll need are Alps, SK, Oh, behind CC, the, the short, YouTube channel. Yeah. Sometimes Thanks. known as white. These are different to the Apple ones, as the Apple ones have a long stem. First thing you need to do is pull the keycaps so we can get access to the top of the keys. I still love the Dragon keyboard. You know, typing it's one of the better ones. I like that Open extractor, that key extractor. You can make up your own simply by just bending some wire. I think this works in the Kogo three and stuff too, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I see that a lot of people use that extractor. On I'm having flashbacks to when I had my uh, wisdom teeth removed right now, though. <laughs> 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 that like explains that. a complete lack of wisdom, I guess. Yes, so. but that is a really neat uh, keycap extractor. I like that. It looks like it's let, letting you get in there kind of gently too. Let's fast forward a little bit here. Oh, so do you have to take off the back circuit board to be able to get to where the switches are? Or do the switches just pull straight out too? They're clipped in. That's why you need the pliers. And one thing he did mention, I don't know what part of the video, so I can't find it, but if you notice, you'll see on the circuit board, there's little numbers. Like okay. one, there's a two and a three up over here. Okay. Two, yeah, three, yeah, yeah. four, five. That actually corresponds to the key, so you actually have something visually on the circuit board to see what key that exactly is matching, so you know what the traces are actually touching. Whereas on the Coco Mylar one, you have you basically have to follow it you know, by eye, you follow the entire trace. Here, you actually everything's labeled. Every single key in the keyboard is labeled with a unique number, so you know like 32 is the I don't know the X key or whatever it happens to be type thing, which makes it a lot easier. Like if you have one key that's not working, you can trace right to that trace instantly. So it's kind but of like a top pin hasn't come free, three. So it's a kind of a through hole solder where you can desolder and then reattempt the switch. Again. Yeah, the switch. Pull the switch out. Stick another one in and. Yeah, so then he goes through and he replaces the keys and the switches, etc. Test them out using a meter. Anyway, if you have a dragon with some you know bad keys or bad switches, you can order the switches. Oh yeah, because you can even see down in there now too. There's those two holes right there, right? Yeah. That you just drop yeah. them right in and just and it's kind of through hole, and you just put a little solder doll up on the other side, and boom. Yeah, so it's 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 pretty cool, and, and the nice thing is since the dragon used a fairly common key switch which is still made today that's you what can that, replace these fairly easily right and that's what that new keyboard's made out of right the same type of keys and switches that the original yeah just uses the usb interface and then it arcs with the screen and everything else too so. yeah no, that's cool so. quality anyway, that's, keys man that, that it's a really cool video if you have a dragon and you need to fix some keys or replace some switches whatever this this video does a complete step-by-step -step process of how to how to do it how to check the meet, meters readings to make sure it's working correctly the fact that you have to order these shallower ones than the Apple IIs use, 
uh, of the same Elf's key switches. So it, it basically tells you everything you need to know to do it. And that's so, the end of the news. Those oh. switches are similar to what they used in the Model 3 and 4. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, can I try sharing a screen? I don't know if it'll it'll show, but just to show uh, re regarding John Lowry's uh, his his tricks with the BDG. Sure. I found that that semi graphics program you were talking about, Curtis. But it, because it flickers to achieve what it's trying to achieve, I don't know if uh, Zoom will show it. So if it's no good, we just shut it down and Go don't ahead. worry about it. Go ahead. So Fire I'll just see if you can see it. Otherwise, it may not in Zoom. Okay, is that coming through? It's Does flickering it... like crazy. Yeah. yeah you can't see colors. Yep. Okay. Don't worry about it. Forget it. <laughs> yeah, this you have to see on the real hardware. I have seen this demo on the real hardware. Yeah. And that way it looks like there's color behind the letters. There's colored letters. There's so fancy is, characters. There's mixed, mixed characters. Like John this was is the poor something. man's version of that Alice uh, VDG, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> similar. Okay. But, yeah, I didn't think it'd work in Zoom. Okay. No, you could cool. somewhat see that the, they had different color. You know, the backgrounds were different. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. It looks a lot smoother on real hardware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, Curtis, you mentioned you had an update and acquisition to go over today. So if you want to go ahead and. Yeah. Does anybody else have one too? Or am I hogging that? I think you were the only one at the, at, at the initial. Time. Oh, this is where we fall asleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it's uh, if it's going to be anything to do with nitrous nine, I'm going to rage quit. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. It does, <laughs> but it's not nitrous it nine itself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing I've been doing in nitrous nine the last uh, drum roll, two, drum yeah, roll. Yeah. Where's the hook? Somebody get the hook. Pull Somebody off. put the big z z z z z z up there sleeping. Um, so basically, in nitrous nine, one thing I've been trying to do the last few years is optimizing the graphics subsystem, and I've shown various demos of it. And, and one thing I started getting curious about is, is Base 9 fast enough to start handling, you know, decent arcade style games uh, if you don't want to have to learn machine language or C or something like that. So I've been kind of doing a Skunk Works project of, of trying to see, I've been fiddling with different routines just to try different effects, et cetera. And I've started working on an actual game. First time I've done a game since I did Olympic Decathlon back in 84 or whatever the hell it was. Let me guess, is this the one where you wrote an assembly language routine that helps scroll the screen too? Uh, no assembly in this one at all. Oh, okay. This is all all no, straight base no. going on. I'm just trying to give you a hard time. No, I'm just saying the, the original Coco one, right? Yeah, yeah. The Olympic Decathlon. Well, Rain Quest was pure basic, yeah. but Olympic Decathlon I had the scroll routine. Yeah, and yeah. Sixie had mentioned earlier in the chat that was his very first machine language yeah. too, was a scroll routine for a base game he did. So I've been fiddling with it, and I've I've finally got enough that I can just do a very brief demo of of just a few of the things that I'm doing. I've got plans to go much further beyond this and add a bunch of more stuff. I'm not even going to go too much in the details of the game here because that's still in the state of flux at this point too. My plan is, though, is that because we cannot sell Nitrous 9 for money because of the deal we have with Microware, that this will be kind of a fundraiser for Bill and me because he's working on a game, too, um, which he'll probably demo at some point. Oh, cool. further on his, too. Um, he's doing his in Seer Assembly, I think Assembly, actually. And it's a totally different style game. Um, so I'm going to demo this uh, using MAME in 6809 mode. So this is no 6309, no Gimme X, nothing else. It actually does run faster and smoother on those, but I'm trying to write something that's going to be common to, to all machines. Um, it will be sold probably for like five, 10 bucks, something fairly cheap. I'm hoping to have it done by the fest. And, uh, when you buy it, you actually get the source code with it. So if you want to figure out how I did certain things, and I'm not saying I'm writing the most optimized basic nine code, but, uh, if you want to see how I did some certain technique, you'll be able to do that. And so we can criticize your, your code. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 we can yeah, do a blog. We'll do a, yeah, you guys well, can all complain a, right the day after. Let's do a peer thing. review on that. So yeah. I, I took a look at your code yesterday, and good God, you're just doing everything wrong. Now. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, the anticipation's killing us. Let's see it, Curtis. Come on. Okay, so They're killing me, Smalls. Fire it up here. Now, I think if I remember, the emulator here is going to try to play the sound through my actual speaker. So I'm going to aim my mic at my screen and crank the volume up. It, it does do that. Hopefully, it actually shares it properly. But Okay. We see MAME. Yep. And you should see some. Uh, that's a list of the modules currently in there. And like I said, this is definitely in a state of flux. Now, my plan is you'll see lib levels one to three. So basically, I'm going to have a module called Liberation, which actually, that's the name of the game. So the top modules up until that lib levels one to three is actually the modules that the main liberation program loads and it'll keep those loaded in memory at all times. And one of the things you can do in basic is you can chain other modules in and out of memory as you need them. So levels one to three is gonna be one module, level four will be another module, level five, level six. That way, if I wanna write a program that's bigger than 32 or 40K, that's how I do it. I keep the main routines that are common to all in the main chunk. And then I just swap this, you know, 16K chunk in and out as I need it for different levels. So that way the game will be larger than 64K. Neat. Press joystick button. So I'm, I'm having it so unlike a lot of games which said, you know, you have to use the right or you have to use left. I'll just have it so you hit a button and whatever the joystick you happen to hit it on, that's the one it uses for the game. So there's no having to unplug and plug in type thing because that's i find that annoying so i hopefully i don't know how the sounds gonna work here but I'll try it i like hammering reset to make it go from red to blue or blue to red yeah, exactly it's like totally unnecessary i hear the sound okay good that's coming through loaded 2021 optimal creations that's loading fast so that whole scrolling up the text there that's just using get Get put buffers with a change working area trick. Okay. Written by L. Curtis Boyle. 2021. I even did the old Windows style, you know, translucent uh, progress bar. No, I got that. Hopefully it's more accurate than Windows version. Uh, it's, it's mostly accurate at this point, but not quite. <laughs> Ah, never finished. Lives, <laughs> the mines, prison cell. Oh my goodness, what the heck? You awaken once again in your cold cell, another long day in an endless string of long days as slave labor in the mines to the alien race that captured you so long ago now. But suddenly there is a deep rumbling sound. That's my stomach. Uh, the entire <laughs> mine shakes. Then the door that keeps you in your cell malfunctions. Dot, dot, dot. Press joystick button. Okay. So I'll just let you know you're, you're going to appear in the lower right corner and so is the door it's talking about. Okay. It's talking about. Uh, oh, there you are. Oh, my goodness. What the heck? The mines. Prison cell. Now, I will say this is running raw basic 9 code. And one thing, MAME is running this a little slower than it does on the actual hardware. I'm not sure why. This, so this looks really stellar. good, man. Your animations are stellar. The colors are really good, man. Now, I haven't got collision detection in yet, so I can run through a robot, but normally you'd have to duck away from them until you later on get guns and stuff. This is really good, man. And the uh, robot eyes, I don't know if you can see, they're kind of pulsing along with that, you know, yeah, the yeah, name yeah, of the yeah. current level. 
And I take it that's the key up there you have to get. Yeah. I'll, I'll do it legitimately if I had collision detection right. working and avoid the robot. You gotta hide, the, hide from the guy. Man, this looks really good. And I haven't packed this yet. This is raw, raw code. So if I run into the key. You found a key. Save key to open doors. I directly stole that from Gauntlet. Pretty yeah. cool. Right? Now, I haven't actually got the routine yet to delete the key off the screen okay. and stuff here. But uh, basically, you you click the button to continue. And then you go down and you know duck in those little cubby holes to avoid the robots and open the door to go to the next screen. So I won't be showing any of that stuff. But basically, the wall detection is working and object detection is working though it doesn't act on all of them yet um i will give you a couple of things here <clears throat> to mention that will happen if when you saw the hearts fade in mm -hmm. at the beginning so there's three levels of hearts there's a really dark red small one a medium red medium size and then the full red that you see now so you'll take damage so a heart will actually shrink it doesn't just go instantly off and you lose a life it mm -hmm. actually will shrink down so you can take three hits then the heart goes goodbye and then you know another three, another three type thing. Inventory will be graphical. <clears throat> so if you pick up a key, a little miniature version of the key will appear beside the inventory. Ah. There's other objects you can pick up as well. It's a good font. So, it's a very arcadey type font there. It's the PC font that Todd Wallace did. Okay. <clears throat> and if, on the intro screen, I actually used three different fonts because that was nothing. I wanted to show some things that Nitro 9 can do with Base 9. So the very first intro screen where it does the credits is actually three different fonts. Um, and it just selects, you know, between them, you know, from Basic 9. So this is all Basic 9 code. There's not a lick of assembly, not a lick of C, nothing else in there. Um, in fact, if you want to see it while it's running here, I mean, here's the uh, the code here right now. Yeah. If you want to, like, do a Tron, you can actually watch the code run with line. <laughs> it's actually running. And then if occasionally you'll see the graphics pop on the screen as it hits the routine that actually does the drawing of the graphics. Now, running a debugger like this, <clears throat> the 6809 is pretty slow. There you see a robot. Yeah, hey, I saw the robot pop up there, yeah. So basically, this is running pretty slow. The slow, the scrolling routine is using a stack bus, but that's so much slower than a TFM. So if you run the 6809, this runs a lot faster running a debugger. And if you run a Gimme X at 3 megahertz, it runs really fast, comparatively speaking. So it's kind of handy. But you can turn Tron trough off on the program itself, and you can have it you know, just display a couple lines you want to check to see what it's doing and then kick it back off again. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's basically the game so far. I've got a map editor done. I won't show that today, but that'll come with the game as well. So you can design your own screens uh, using the icons, et cetera, and it'll save them out. And you can load them back in and edit them. You can edit the names of them. You also, uh, depending, you can just set, there, there's multiple screens that you go through for each level. So a level is a set of screens, but each level is a totally different set of screens. And I've got it set up so that I can actually change the uh, graphics as you load in levels so that level... I'm planning right now levels one, two, and three are mostly going to share the same graphics. So we'll just have to load the graphics once and then just reuse them as it loads maps. Level four and above, and I haven't quite figured how far that's going to go yet, uh, will have completely different gameplay, completely different graphics. So they won't even actually be wandering through a maze. It'll be a totally different thing is the current plan because I want to show off different techniques of doing different types of things. Um, so that's the ultimate goal. But that's uh, kind of my Skunk Works project uh, just to see what what what, what is basically on capable of doing even on a stock 6809. And of course, on a six or nine runs faster than a game mixer runs even faster yet. So that's, that's really impressive. That's my little little demo. More more to come. I'll keep you guys updated as I get some more stuff done. I might even show the editor later on. I know a few people I've showed it to privately. You know, seen it like Nick's seen it, and a few other people has too. So 
And Bill's nice. working on a strategy game. That's all I'll give away on that. He's using multi-view, so it's actually got drop-down menus and stuff like that too, as well as graphics. So I'll let him explain it when he's ready to show off some of that. And there's at least four Nitrous Nine-based games that I know of currently in development by different people. It's the most advanced operating system ever developed. So that's good stuff. Yeah, I know. Like I said, I want to show that you don't have to be in a semi-arch program. You don't have to be a C program if you want to just you know learn Basic Nine. There's a ton of power built in the Basic Nine itself. There you go. Cool. Thank you, Curtis. All right. I think we're done. Anybody have any final thoughts, parting words? Anyone? Anyone? George, thanks for being here today and hanging out the whole day. Thanks for giving us our first crash course in some assembly and five different ways to put Hello World up on the screen. Well, it's, uh, there's a long, long way to go. And I hope I get some comments on way to improve what we're doing so okay uh, james jones is asking if he can do a pre-order on that curtis <laughs> <laughs> cool so you well, so only what, if i only if i get it done what will your exotic <laughs> sports car of choice be nick's already got the whole done ferraris what are you going to go my, for? my market's a lot smaller with nitrous nine <clears throat> so i'll be probably just getting ferrari tires at this point <laughs> <laughs> it'll fit in a matchbox i won't even need a big shoe box so it's just a little budget as far as pre-orders, I will be probably selling this in HIO. I already signed up for a developer account on there, so that's probably the easiest way to, to send it out. Um, but I won't be taking any pre-orders because I'm, I'm not exactly sure when I'm going to be done. I'm shooting for the fest in November, but uh, you know, if the game's not ready, the game's not ready. And I'm like, I have to mix it with you know regular life and everything. And, and I still have to do Nitrous 9 and everything else too. So it's kind of a side skunk project to break the monotony. Kind of like Neo, Nick rattles off a game in a week type thing is a little side project like waterfall or something like that so very cool very cool all right well um anybody have any parting thoughts final thoughts anything you want to say john lowry anything you want to say to the folks at home um I have a good night okay <laughs> and good. and uh rick Eulin. ah uh, it's uh, still sunny outside so might try that out and see what the big blue room's like okay very cool mark bosley no, just trying to figure out what the heck that big ball of fire in the sky is. <laughs> it's gonna <laughs> gonna burn us all up. Nick Morantes, thank you for being here. Thank you for your blogs and games. Right. Yep. I'll see you later. Uh huh. And L. Curtis Boyle, very cool. Thanks for showing us that. Thanks for Nitrous Nine and for the news and everything else. Uh, Tom Eric Gunderson saying goodbye. James Jones out there. Kevin Holloway, Explore VR. Erico Sixy and uh salvador garcia is out there the doctor dr x 0079 was out there and uh and erico and daddy burrito and sixy and l curtis boyle and uh chris duris and torsten and paul fiscarelli was out there fred prevent provancha provancha i don't know why i keep saying provincia provancha and uh sixy and uh, all kinds of stuff all kinds of people out there today thanks for being here today guys uh frodo was there and uh paul thayer was here mark overholzer was here earlier all kinds of people um canadian retro things nick marota oh says my zoom crash sorry to hear that uh all right so that is it for now um if you enjoyed the assembly series uh kevin holloway Thanks for being here. Uh, make sure you join us on Discord to carry on those discussions and those questions and show us 
what you're up to and we'll see you guys next time i'm not going to play the credits i'm just going to press the button so say goodbye everybody if you're hungry yeah goodbye <laughs> all right everybody. see you next Bye. week all right Bye.